What's happening, weirdos? Wow. Tim Ferriss, so excited. I recorded this a while ago while I was in quarantine, uh, meaning uh, alone in Montreal. And boy, it was helpful. Um, You know, that solo experience, talking to somebody like Tim, who can tell you how to optimize your time and get yourself a routine and, and get your mind in a good place. That was literally, well, let's not say literally, but it was very life-affirming and positive. I was going to say literally life-saving, but uh, it was incredibly helpful. And I hope this conversation is as special to you as it was to me. I am thrilled, thrilled that we finally made it happen and got Tim on the podcast. Uh, A little shout out for people that want to support the show. These are the Pete's Picks. One of our sponsors is our friend for online shopping, which is a free service, absolutely free browser extension called Honey. Here's what it works. Here's what it works. Here's how it works. You get Honey on your computer for free in two easy clicks by going to joinhoney.com slash weirdo. You're going to want to do this before all your Christmas shopping or holiday shopping or whatever you're doing. Then when you're uh, checking out at one of its over its 30,000 supported sites, Honey will pop up and all you have to do is click apply coupons. Wait a few seconds. Honey searches for the coupons for that site. If Honey finds working codes, it'll automatically, boom, apply the best one for your cart. This is the simplest and easy way to show some support, some love for this show, is to go to this site, use this code, and get yourself Honey, and you'll save yourself money. This is basically just free cash for something you're already doing. I was buying some uh, wireless headphones. They have a lot of tech sites. They have a lot of gaming sites, fashion, all types of retailers, even food delivery. You go to the site. Like I said, it pops up. You click apply coupon. Boom. I saved about 12 bucks, 12, 14 bucks just for doing nothing, just for going to a website. So if you want to show support of the show and save some money, If you have a computer, Honey should be on it. It's that simple. It's free and works with whatever browser you use. You can get Honey for free today at joinhoney.com slash weirdo. That's joinhoney.com slash weirdo. Our other sponsors are wonderful friends at Babbel. I'm sure this is appealing to a lot of people interested in Tim Ferriss. I found that learning languages can be one of the best ways to keep your mind active, engaged, creative, and alive. I've been using Babbel to brush up on Spanish. I know a lot of you are probably interested in learning another language, but the last time I decided to give it a try, I uh, wasted time. I basically spent hours learning random vocab words that I knew I would never use, but enter Babbel. Babbel is different. It teaches you phrases you'll actually use in real life including slang. So if you're interested in learning a new language, you know your reason why. It might be like me. You want to keep your brain sharp. It might be for a promotion at work. It might be because you're planning on traveling or you want to feel connected to a culture or get closer to that family member. Babbel is learning language for everyone, whatever your reason. And they are a language learning system designed to get you speaking a new language within 10 to 15 minute lessons. You can do it within weeks You'll start speaking this new language. 10 to 15 minute lessons. It's easy. It's quick. It's a very small part of my day. You start with words and phrases, and then the sentences gradually get more complex. Soon you'll practice short conversations, and Babbel's interactive dialogue and speech recognition technology helps to improve your pronunciation and accent so you feel confident when you speak. And Babbel's lessons are created by real language experts, not machine learning algorithms 
or AI technology. So you learn practical, real-world, human-made conversations. Babbel has sold over 10 million subscriptions. You can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, as I mentioned, French, Italian, German. Speak the language like you always wanted to with Babbel. And right now, Babbel is offering our listeners three months free with a purchase of three months Go to Babbel.com, that's B-A-B-B-E-L.com, and use promo code PETE. That's B-A-B-B-E-L.com, and use promo code PETE for your three-month subscription, for three months added to that subscription. That's B-A-B-B-E-L.com, and use promo code PETE. Babbel, a language for life. And finally, it's brought to us by our friends at Brooklyn, and this is a real game changer for me. If you sleep as much as I do, you're going to want to be sleeping on good, good sheets. And if you are anything like Rich and Vicky, the founders of Brooklyn, and they tried to find beautiful home essentials, and they couldn't, that didn't cost an arm and a leg. I've had that experience. I just couldn't bring myself to fork over the cash for some fancy, fancy thing that I knew was being marked up way too much. So I just didn't do it. And when Rich and Vicky couldn't do it, they founded Brooklinen, the first direct-to-consumer bedding company. You should be feeling good about your sheets. I used to look forward to staying in a nice hotel because it meant, in part, that I would be staying on really soft, luxurious sheets. And why did I wait this long? Why did I wait this long to turn my bed into a five-star hotel experience without spending five-star hotel prices? These are unbelievably soft, smooth, wonderful on the skin sheets that look great. They have lots of different options for all the different sizes of beds and all the different types of taste we have out there. They have the luxury level without the luxury level markup. Brooklinen has a variety of sheets, colors, patterns, and materials to fit your needs and tastes. They're so confident that you will love their products. They even offer a 365-day money-back guarantee. That's one human year. Plus, Brooklinen's biggest sale of the year is coming right up. Uh, it's actually happening right now. If you've got people on your list who are hard to please, go to brooklinen.com, B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com, and check out their entire selection of bedding, towels, loungewear, and more. They've even got candles, eye masks, robes. Uh, they've got anything for that picky aunt that you just don't know what to get. Get her a spa day that she doesn't have to leave, that she can live inside of. I'm telling you, it's a game changer. They also have Brooklyn and uh, gift cards for those people that we have no idea what they want. Everybody wants good sheets and good towels. The sale starts November 18th, which means it's going on now. So go to brooklinen.com and use promo code WEIRD to get 10% off your first order and free shipping. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and enter promo code WEIRD for 10% off plus free shipping. Brooklinen.com. Last time, use promo code WEIRD at checkout. All right, friends. I, it really means so much if you guys want to support the show and, and try one of the Pete's Picks. We're getting gifts around this time of year anyway. means a lot to me. Thanks for showing your support. Thanks for checking out the show if you guys are new. I hope you enjoy the chat with Tim. He's incredible. Check out his podcast, obviously. I don't have to promote that. It's one of the biggest podcasts in the world. And I'm so glad that he came on this one. Get into it. Hey, Good great. to finally connect. Yeah, it's awesome to connect. I, I felt, do you remember it was three years ago that I first scheduled you? And yeah. then I was on a plane. It was my honeymoon. I was coming back from Bora Bora. So I'm on a little plane 
putting it together that I was losing a day. <laughs> and I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's not tomorrow. It's today. Like the podcast <laughs> is now. So I shot you a, a not unfrantic email to be like, I, and, and you must live with this. I was like, oh, I'm canceling on the most efficient person in the world. <laughs> I mean, do you live with that in your life that people get extra careful and extra productive or maybe even extra apologetic if they fuck yeah. up your day? If they, I mean, if someone writes you a long email, they have to be like, now it's even longer because I'm so sorry that this is a long email. Like, I know how you... <laughs> how you like to work. <laughs> I think there is a fair amount of that. And yeah. it, it shows up at dinner parties and having friends over and they're like, oh my God, this guy's going to judge every bite I take. I'm going to have <laughs> to get get my fiber and protein ratios right. And Oh my uh, God. I think maybe my writing presents me as more judgmental than I actually am. <laughs> Hopefully that's the case. I mean, it would be really bad if it were the other way around, if I were really open-minded in my writing and it just didn't, tight minded asshole in real life. So hopefully yeah. it's the other way around. Yeah. That I just had um, Tan France from queer eye on, and he was talking about his dinner parties and he has, and I was like, there must be this pressure. Like I'm always as a comedian, you know, people yeah. put it on me to be funny or, or be whatever. For sure. I'm like as the queer eye guy, I'm like, what do you wear to the Tan France dinner party? Like, it must be a big deal. And he was like, it has to be sweatpants. Like, I can't really do it. But he was like, <laughs> everybody has to wear PJs and sweatpants. Yeah. So I wonder. To just is, take it off the table, right? To just yeah, take it off the table. Yeah, if you're like, yeah. you have to be late, Tim Ferriss. You can't eat 20 grams of protein <laughs> or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, like, right. We're just going to let loose. That, that, that might be an interesting place to start. Where do you find room in your life for leniency? Do you, do you go easy on yourself? Because I, mm -hmm. sorry to give it even more pretense, it doesn't seem necessary because you're about to answer, but I burn very manic. I get very manic. And I'll get in a very Tim Ferriss, Tony Robbins sort of place. I'll make my bed. I take a cold shower and I love it. And then I, I, I seem to balance that with like, a, I'm going to play Zelda on the Switch for a month and just sort of cool out. Um, that might not be the most efficient way to do it, but you strike me as a guy that's found a balance. Could you talk a little about that? Sure. I think that efficiency has a place but I make a lot of room for leniency. And I would say on some level, the point of, if we want to just define a few things first, being effective, doing the right things. So choosing the right things to focus on and then being efficient, doing those things well, because you can do stupid things really quickly and efficiently. <laughs> <laughs> but, but if you choose your targets well, and then you hit those targets well, one of the byproducts, and for me, at least one of the goals is to produce more slack so that if I want to on a Tuesday, lay down because I want to decompress and read on the couch uh, or any number of things that, that I can give myself permission to do that. And I have the space to do it. So there's a lot of leniency. Uh, and I think I pull an equivalent of wearing the sweatpants quite a lot yeah. to try to let the air out of the tires for myself. And then also for other people at a dinner party where I'll be like, okay, I want whatever, you know, the cheesecake, I want four, you know, yeah, <laughs> the, yeah, the yeah. wine, let's get three. And, and it uh, not only takes the pressure off from me, but maybe removes a bit of that static in the air for, for other folks as well. But I have a lot of leniency. I'll tell you where, where I might, uh, 
use a different term. I think I have more space in my life than I have leniency, if that makes sense. I'm still, there are the mechanics and the approaches and so on that help you to create more space in your life, but that doesn't guarantee that you have a feeling of of spaciousness internally, nor does it make you lenient if you've on some level been your own devil on your back, whipping you for a long time in sixth gear. So for instance, the, the, the four hour work week, the first book, which of course I'll be associated with forever, which has its pros and cons. And the, the title is a blessing and a curse was reflective of me in my late twenties and obsessively focusing on getting things done and trying to determine the best ways to do that and to really achieve in the sphere of business. Uh, but now at 43 priorities have shifted a bit and I'm less, I don't want to say myopic, but my focus isn't exclusively on that anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the way that I approach my life now versus when I was say 29, when that book was published is, is quite different. Uh, the, the philosophies and toolkits are the same in many respects, but how I apply those things is very different. Mm. In, well, I could just say in what way. Um, I will say in what way, but I'm also going to throw you a, a two-pronger. The other prong is, does your productivity at 43, now we're talking about balance, does your yep. productivity at, four, at 43, when you have that feeling of, I, I made these harder choices, and now I can have that time yeah. Eating something I think that probably isn't based in business, probably isn't based in productivity, but just your enjoyment. This is one of the real keys of the universe, it seems to me, is you can't just be drunk all the time. I mean, right. it's built into our physiology. It's not going to work. You can't be high all the time. Uh, yeah. The times that I've smoked weed two days in a row, I always notice the second day, I'm like, this isn't working. Like, it's not, it's not the same. It doesn't have the novelty. Now it just feels like, I don't know putting on a sleeping bag or something. It doesn't feel fun anymore. Um, but that seems to be one of the great keys of the universe. We see it in the, in the patterns of the earth. So it's mirrored in, in, in nature that we can't just floor it. But one of the things that I think is interesting about balance is that you have a, a harvest makes the time of planting and, and more rest feel better. So that, that's the two, the two prongs I'm going to put at you. How so? How has it changed since you were a young man? And also maybe uh, if you want to speak a little bit about how balance makes each, each stage more richer and better. Let me take a stab at it. So the two prongs. <laughs> uh, the, the first I would say is... And also, what's your favorite movie? <laughs> My favorite movie. <laughs> no, I'm just oh, that's, the, that, that's the easy one. Favorite movie yeah. is Spirited Away. Spirited Away by Hayao Miyazaki, Studio Ghibli. It's a Japanese animated movie. That's easy. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, so Spirited Away, by far, my favorite movie. That's the easy one. The I'm writing it down. The way things have changed, I would say, is largely a function of, over time, like anyone else, throwing a lot against the wall and learning different things over time so that later you have a, a palette of colors you can choose from in the form of, of skills, right? But in my 20s, like I was figuring out business and that's all I did. That's all I did. And over time, figured out what I was good at, what I was terrible at, what I would never be great at and how to use systems and so on. And that education continues to today, but there was a somewhat single-minded focus 
for a period of time, which was necessary just to get a base level of fluency in that area, just like with swimming or language or anything else. And so over time, I think I've had that focus, then the physical performance modification for our body focus and so on and so forth. And now that I've had, let's just say, a half a dozen or a dozen of those focused periods, I can pick and choose the best elements from those now and incorporate them in a way that would have been very difficult in my 20s. Not to say it's impossible, but uh, to the point of, or the topic of balance, I would say that where I try to be careful, and I'm not always careful, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm better at it now, even this year than say two years ago, is not confusing balance as a concept with blending on a daily basis. So what I mean by that is if I have, I'll make it up arbitrarily, but let's just say I have family, finances, fitness, intellectual stimulation, dot, 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 dot. And these are my pillars, whatever they are. And each person will have their own. If I try to put all of those in equal measure into each day, I find that it's messy and the task switching cost and the focus switching cost is really high. So then if we zoom out and we're like, all right, well, what might some balance look like if there are certain legs of the table that we can't have half as short as the others? That could be on a weekly basis. That could be on a monthly basis where it's like, okay, on an annual basis, once a year, I'm going to take this extended trip with my family and do A, B, and C, and we'll schedule that in in advance. And we'll have the anticipation and discussion leading up to it, which is part of the experience. And that will be my main investment in that leg with a distributed family. Let's just say. Meaning like a a short amount of time will fill up that whole leg of that table. The whole family leg is is this month trip. Yep. You condense it. Yeah. That's, that's the booster shot. And uh, there, there are other things sprinkled throughout. So I, I think that what has changed for me most in my thinking about balance is over what period of time you evaluate whether yeah, you're balanced or not. Point, yeah, where do you diagnose imbalance? Is it the, yeah. at the end of a day? That's brilliant. I love that. Keep going. Yeah. Well, I'll just say like today, for instance, we'll, we'll pull a little slice of life. So last night, uh, and I'm sure you have dealt with like privacy concerns and weird stuff before. And so I have a security system and so on and so forth, and it's never gone off. And then last night at five in the morning, it just went berserk. And so got up, it turned out to be the fire alarms. So we scoured the whole building for fires. My phone is on airplane mode. So the fire department showed up because the monitoring company couldn't reach me. It's so funny, Tim, sorry to interject, but I watched your, I didn't want to ask you too many things you had been asked before. And you get asked about morning routine a lot. And one of them is put your phone on airplane mode. And I was like, (laughs) I'm totally with you, except when uh, it comes to the, the either an emergency from your family or the, the security company. Yeah. And I was going to ask you if you're aware that you you can put it on do not disturb and then you can make a group that is allowed. You can, I'm doing, I'm doing that right now. So I I appreciate you saying that this is the, (laughs) now let me just add some like director's cut commentary on this, this portion of the story, because I will say that airplane mode has worked for 
seven years without one incident. Right. So yeah, this okay. is the first time. So there's a, uh, there's an expression, you know, edge cases make poor case law with meaning if, if I take this one instance and say from now on and forever, I need to change this policy. I, I think that's a bad, uh, not a great way to approach it in my case, but um, so letting kind of small bad things happen is important. But the, the moral of the story is that like today's been fucked right? Like I didn't get any, I, I didn't, I didn't get, I didn't, I didn't get any sleep. You know, I woke up and then it turns out there's like a bunch of like nonsense that just today is, is apparently it set the momentum, like, right? Is that, is that what you're yeah. saying? Like, well, 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 there was the sort of physical depletion. I also hurt, injured my hip pretty badly earlier this week, which is rare. I don't get injured very often, but injured my hip pretty badly. So I didn't sleep for a host of reasons. And then there was a bunch of housekeeping, meaning just kind of logistics stuff in the form of fires that popped up today. So like this, this, this conversation will be (laughs) depending on how we want to define it, like by far the most, you know, productive thing that I get done today by far. I did nothing today except for like run around like a clown in a clown car trying to take care of things that I didn't That's expect to have to take so her. Funny. And the Tim of say, less, it doesn't have to be that long ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, would have been beating the shit out of myself, figuring out how I could cram in some type of exercise, cram in some type of forced creativity or productivity. And because I've zoomed out a bit, doesn't mean I let myself off the hook entirely, but I've zoomed out so I can evaluate it more on, say, a weekly basis instead of on a daily basis, I can cut myself some slack. So yeah. today is just like a physical recovery day and I'm okay with that. And what I've realized as I've gotten older, I, mean, I don't think it's a function of getting older. Maybe it's just a function of perspective and also working on all sorts of past trauma and so on that you don't actually have to get a lot of things right in, let's just say, professional life. Uh, you don't have to get a lot of things right. You don't have to get ninety percent of the things right. You have to you have to get a few things right pretty consistently. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's like rounders. Did you see the movie Rounders? They're like you want to oh, yeah. win one big hand an hour, which is yeah. something I always took from that. Yeah, yeah. You can't yeah, win every exactly. hand. You you're losing night or you're folding ninety percent of the time, but then you win one big hand an hour. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, you make your money sitting and not. Oh, playing the hand, right? That's right. That's in, interesting. In, in, in poker. So it's, it's very similar for me. I don't know if that's a satisfying answer or not, but I love that answer. Yeah. I'm into it. I, I also, I hope I'm not quoting you back to you. Um, but I heard <laughs> somebody said to me, they were like the problem with checking texts in the morning, or in your case, the problem with dealing, uh, not dealing with, but having to respond to the fire department, uh, in your case, and then playing catch up is that you're, you're starting the day in a responding mode instead of that wonderful mm-hmm. feeling of agency. And like, I decide when I look at my phone, you know, that liberating feeling of like, no one knows that I'm not asleep right now. You know what yeah. I mean? Isn't that like a totally. fun little mind experiment? Like, especially if you get up early, I'm in a different time zone than most of the people I work with. So I'm like, there's no excuse to check my email right now. It's it's like looking at Facebook before bed. You really want to dream of your friend Shana and, and, and your friend Daniel from college. Like 
you don't need that yeah. intel and you don't need to start your morning <laughs> with some email of somebody chasing you for some answer that could that could easily come at three o'clock that yeah. day. And you could have that yeah. precious golden morning time where you're fresh and your ego isn't completely assembled to be, I, I, I don't mean this in a religious mm-hmm. sense, but to be God-like, to be purely creative, meaning that God yeah. is creation. You could be in that flow because you don't have enough of your story reassembled for you. Yeah. Uh, yes, this, is, this is a super important observation. And I would say if you, if you wanted to boil down like 80% of the verbose shit that I say, uh, verbose and, best-selling shit. <laughs> well, yeah, amaz- amazing what you can do. People say phone books are dead. Not in the case of my books. Uh, <laughs> although I think they mostly get used for doorstops and like laptop pro- stand props and so on. But the but the the morning routine topic is du jour. It's really popular. Uh, it's fascinating for a lot of reasons for a lot of people. I'm interested in morning routines of other folks. Uh, daily rituals, for instance, for instance, is a book all about rituals. I, I yeah. do find rituals and habits fascinating, but if you wanted to simplify it and distill what I think has helped me individually, and this could just be a very personal thing, it's protecting a few hours in the morning. Yeah. So, so that you have some type of you have some type of boundaries or protection set up armor setup such that you are able to be purely proactive and focus on anything that you choose to focus on without being reactive. Uh, and you, you can, that in turn, I think helps you to be more response able, right? You can choose your response, but I, I haven't had as an, inst- as an example, you know, any social media apps on my phone for four months at this point, I, I want the hurdle of having to go through a browser to do it. Mm. And that doesn't mean I don't use social. I use, for instance, I'll use an app like OnlyPult to post to Instagram without actually being exposed to my own feed, if that makes any sense. Oh, really? Um, I didn't know about that. That's great. Yeah. So so there are services you can use to, in some instances, and and, uh, I mean, I use social, I suppose, in a way that's very different from folks who are using it to keep in touch with friends on Facebook. But uh to catch their became, dreams before bed. <laughs> yeah, that just became impossible for me in 2007. So I haven't used it for that for a long time. But uh, the there is more information imposed upon you in any given day than was probably generated in you know any like decade in the like early 1900s or 1800s in English. Right. So it it is absolutely imperative for me at least so that I don't feel scrambled and let us not forget that, you know, there are billions of dollars in R and D put into these tools specifically. I mean, I know people who do this for a living to engage you like what does engagement mean use, right. To engage you as, as much as, as possible. And if you think, your self-discipline, your willpower is going to defeat that. I think it's it's a bit naive. It's it's like thinking that you're going to play one-on-one against LeBron, who's had millions and millions of dollars put into his 
training and upkeep and physical performance and technical proficiency and you're going to beat them. It just doesn't make any sense. Like no one would take that side of the bet. But the human animal will dilute itself because we like it. You know what I mean? It's like when you Google scotch health benefits, you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Or or in my case, if if I have a cheat day, it's always after the fact I Google benefits of a cheat day. It's always (laughs) after I've eaten the stuff. But like, that same self-deluding thing. Maybe you could yeah. speak to self-delusion a little bit. I, I think it, it's an interesting idea. You think I can just go on Instagram and I'll just post, but of course, you know, I mean, you just said it, millions and millions of dollars of R&D are going into yeah. what colors, what sounds, what what words are going to excite your animal. It, it, it's the yeah. same as snorting cocaine and thinking it's not going to make you elated or, or energized or whatever. Yeah. Or addicted. I mean, this, this is actually a great comparison because I'm, I'm very involved with supporting a lot of scientific research involving schedule one compounds, like drugs, very highly regulated drugs for psychiatric conditions that are considered untreatable. And there are all these questions of addiction brought up and comparisons to other drugs and so on. And like no one tries heroin thinking they're going to become an addict and blow their head off or overdose a few years later. I would venture to say very few at least, right? They're always yeah. each of those person, each of those people subconsciously, like implicitly or explicitly goes into it thinking, I'm not the type of person this happens to. This will not happen to me. And you just haven't met your molecule yet, is what I say to people. Like you just haven't met your molecule. There is one out there that will absolutely be prone to making you an addict. Uh, and it's it's just a matter of of being exposed to it, uh, and I think that's true of technology as well. And uh, there are uh, many ways to delude yourself. And part of what I use that protected morning time for is to examine my thoughts to see where I might be deluding myself. So I'll give just one example. I mean, I don't know if we want to go down this rabbit hole, but something as simple, you mentioned rounders. So one of the co-writers of rounders is a guy named Brian Koppelman. He and his partner, David Levine wrote rounders and Brian's a good, a good friend. He introduced me to something called morning pages, which he does religiously. He does, he does. Oh, at I, least, know. I heard you mentioned yeah. that it was an award-winning screenwriter, but I didn't know it was Brian. I know Brian a little yeah. bit. Yeah. So really Brian, cool. Brian does, uh, two things, at least two things, three things religiously. <laughs> he has his Royale, which is first cup of coffee in the morning. He does transcendental why meditation. It, why is it called Royale? He, it, because he wants to get, he wants to bestow upon it a, a name be, 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 but befitting such a glorious morning experience. So it's the but Royale. We were just, Val and I were just talking about how we lose um, images, you know, like yeah. young, of course, is the human animal is all about images. So calling a coffee, I'm going to do that. I, I don't know yeah. if it'll be the Royale, but it, it imbues your life with more meaning. You're like, I didn't yes. have my Royale. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I think, uh, yeah, I think that type of, yeah, imbuing of meaning and beauty is hugely underrated, but we can talk yes. about that. People um, being so, like, oh, it's, it's fake. It's fake. I'm like, yeah, it's all a dream. I mean, it's all it, fake. It's all fake. mystical tank. We're, we're building yeah. our reality. So build right. a fun one. Well, yeah. I'm going right. to write it. Let's, let's come back to that. Let's come I'll write back down Royale. <laughs> yeah. So the, the, so the morning pages, uh, transcendental meditation. So Royale transcendental meditation or some type of meditation and, and then morning pages. Those are three of the things he does religiously. He introduced me to morning pages, which really they're from Julia Cameron or the expression is borrowed from Julia Cameron's the artist way. 
And it's very simple. You're, you're, you are writing longhand for a few pages just to get whatever monkey mind shatter, neuroses, anxieties, fears, projections, manic delusions are, are in your head to just put them on paper. You don't edit. You just keep it moving. And then you have a chance to look at it. And when you freeze that on paper, you get to see on a daily basis, just how much you can spin yourself up, spin yourself out with these, these thoughts that once you trap them in the amber and you look at them, you're like, that doesn't make any fucking sense at all. Right. It's not and true. It's, it's, it's just it's not true. Completely not true. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so that without that type of purge, it's kind of like emptying the trash bin on your computer. Like without that purge function, I will not, I will not get anything or close to anything meaningful done. I just won't. So the, uh, you know, Richard Feynman, uh, who's one of my heroes of sorts, he's a famous physicist, won the Nobel prize. He's, uh, he's the author of uh, a few different books, including surely you must be joking, Mr. Feynman, which is an incredible book. And one of his quotes, which I'll paraphrase is, uh, the most important thing is not to fool yourself and you are the easiest person to fool. Fascinating. And, uh, I've written three things down already. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take it. I'll take it. Are you a podcast guest or do I owe you for a consult? I feel like when uh, when your brain is your business and your ability to communicate, you know, some, to be honest, Chris Rock made the same point about comedians on talk shows. He's like, when actors go on a talk show, they're not expected to be dramatic. But when I go on a talk show, I'm expected to be funny. I don't mind, <laughs> but I'm doing it. Uh, the same yeah, thing yeah. that if I was a beautiful actor, I could, ju- and I, I was actually picturing Jake Gyllenhaal, you can sort of get away with less, but I'm supposed yeah. to come up with five minutes of a routine. So I'm just sympathizing <laughs> And uh, seeing myself in you a little bit, but I appreciate all these tips. Oh, this is this is fun for me. I've been wanting to connect for 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 a long time, and we have mutual friends like Ryan. I um, I was texting with Ryan, and you just made me think of him because he he loved a lot of the stuff we're talking about. You were saying, yeah. Oh no, it's just I was just saying this is this doesn't work for me. I I I enjoy this, Um, and honestly, I will I will say also that what I try to do whenever possible is point out just how imperfect flawed the work in process is that is Tim Ferriss, right? I spent a lot of time, at least in the last, I know, even since 2007, trying to showcase weaknesses and issues that I have because otherwise, it's if we want to talk about delusion, it's very easy to look at the people who are put on a pedestal, whether it's an Elon Musk or in the business sense, like a Jeff Bezos or actors and actresses or other people in entertainment comedians and feel like, although comedians less so because they're they're a lot of them are so forthcoming with their <laughs> torture uh, that they've got it all figured out. And every morning they wake up and they conquer the day with a mental karate chop and it's just fucking straight over left field into the bleachers with everything they do. And that's just not reality. Uh, There are, there are a few freak show mutants who seem to do something like that, but by and large, it's just not true. So um, I'm glad you're saying that, that, that is what we sort of started with the burden when I canceled on you, 
um, what is this? You're not a cyborg. You know what I mean? Like no. shit happens. Sometimes your smoke yeah. alarm goes off. And I'm grateful that what I needed psychologically was also beneficial for me in my business. And I'm, I, if you, uh, I, I, if you continue to, to round out the vulnerability as I think is a charge of any artist, any creative person to do, I, I, it's my experience. You tell me about yours. It only makes you more appealing. The things you think might turn your type a front row, Tim Ferriss conference, note taker, double espresso people. If you tell them that you have uh, weeks where you just can't make it click or writer's block or, Maybe just um, you've been open about your depression. That that's that's my landing port on you. Yep. I, yeah. I need that. When I talk about Tony Robbins, who I really love, he really changed my life. I, I sometimes um, struggle to find where to land on him. Whereas yeah. with a comedian, I'm like, oh, I see you were bullied. I see you were ridiculed. Yeah. You've been ashamed. And, and don't get me wrong, Tony has been open about those things, but. Uh, when I hear you talking about your depression, I go, okay, now I can listen to this motherfucker. You know what I mean? Now, <laughs> now, he's okay. Cause yeah, I, yeah. I don't need just to, like another square jawed bully telling yeah. me to eat for fuel. Fuck you. Like I yeah, need yeah, to yeah. know that you've eaten some sad ice cream. I need to, <laughs> I need it. Well, otherwise you, you're less effective yeah. to a, a whole swath of people. If you can't yeah. tell me that you've been there. Well, it's also, it's also fake in the sense that, (laughs) that I, and I will say like me trying to be, I do think there's a fine line, right? There's like a self-indulgent oversharing where you're like, you know, you get on a zoom call for, with, with a bunch of lawyers and they're like, yeah, I just zipped my dick in my, you know, in, uh, in my pants right. today. Anyway, right. how's your, how was your morning? Right. You know, like that's, you can be, you can overshare, but the, the sharing for me is also very uh, self-interested, meaning it removes the, both the pressure and also the temptation to try to create a facade that then you have to live for the rest of your life. Um, and I've talked to you, people doing television who are yes. like, they're, they're like, be yourself. Cause if you try to be someone else, you are going to have to continue to do that. God forbid it's successful for the rest of your fucking life. And I do not want to have to, I respect acting, but I don't want to do it because I'm fearful of being found out. Dude. I mean, I, I, sometimes when someone drops some serious wisdom, I'm like, this is a free podcast. You realize people can just download it for free. <laughs> if I had heard that when I was 22, you know, it would have it changed my life for the better. When you realize it's exhausting. Why are you exhausted just being? Because you're not, you picked, as I would say, as a standup, you picked the wrong persona. Like yeah. if you pick an angry persona or a mean persona and you're not angry or mean, but even look at Lewis Black. I mean, I don't, uh, he has a three-dimensional thing going on that includes anger, but you need to evolve to include all the colors of your person. And I think that's, that's not just the comedian's game. That's any person, any human alive needs to, if you want more energy, try fewer filters between who you are and what you're putting out into the world. Wouldn't you say, I mean, I feel like I've heard totally like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I try to be thoughtful in how I pick and choose what to reveal. So it's not that I'm 
sort of imposing on the entirety of my audience uh, some like cathartic therapy session every time I interact with them, right? I'm not doing that. Uh, but I, I do think, as you said, like you are creating your own reality. And if that sounds too esoteric, I mean, we can get into that because I think about that a lot, but I'd love to (laughs) at the very, at, at the very least, I think most people can agree that we're all playing games. Humans are playing different games, right? Like we have been out of the natural selection, Darwinian survival of the fittest from an existential perspective. We've been out of that game for a long time. So now we have these various games, could be the making money game, could be the getting the corner office game, it could be you know, marrying the fill in the blank game. Uh, could There are a million different games that we could play. The status, the codependent getting, kind getting of- Getting the last word in a conversation. Getting the that, last word, a, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so just being aware, I think, it, I think it behooves everyone, and I'm not, uh, you know, I haven't come up with this, but there are books like Finite and Infinite Games by Kars to think very carefully. This is where something like Morning Pages is helpful because it's not enough to think because that is like- it's, it's like trying to catch air molecules. It's too volatile and things move around too much for you to really be able to detach and look at them from an observer perspective. So this is where journaling is really helpful. But to, to just ask yourself as a thought exercise, like what game have I chosen to play? Mm. What games am I playing? And when you start to look at that, you can also identify games that conflict, right? In other words you have objectives that directly contradict each other and you're just, you can't win that combination of things, right? Mm -hmm. If it's like family first, I'm going to play the family first. I'm going to be the best dad in the world game. And then simultaneously I'm going to do whatever it takes to make as much money as possible game. You are almost certainly bound. And that's a, just a hypothetical, but you're almost certainly bound for a collision course of disaster with those two things. Mm -hmm. I saw a therapist on TV visualize that with a box and he showed his patient. One of them was an Academy Award and one of them, let's say it was a big dog. He wanted to breed dogs and like both of them wouldn't fit in the box at the same time. And even though that seems kind of, maybe it seems cheesy. I don't know. It seems a little cheesy to me it really hammered at home. And I was at a point that was in my first marriage. And I was like, Oh no, I'm sort of trying to climb Everest while I'm also trying to play the role of the sweet uh, golden boy who married this girl. and, And that's the most important thing. But if you really gun to my head was like, what's the most important thing? I'd be like, I want to be on Letterman. Like that, that was, yeah, yeah. that was the biggest thing in the box. But man, I caught myself lying to myself today. Like they're just little things that you're like, why did you do that? I want to be liked. I want to be popular. I thought it might make me money, but like push comes to shove. It's not really that compelling to you. And yeah. it's really good to turn that searchlight in is what I hear you say. Yeah, it is. And it's not a one-time thing, right? I mean, for me, like I am so good at getting excited about and committing to things that I should never do in the first place that I need, I need these practices and systems to keep me on the straight and narrow. Uh, It's, it is, it is not optional for me. Like to get, 
to get to normal, whatever that is, right? But in my mind, whatever we envision is like normal baseline, like to get there, I need these safeguards. It's not mm-hmm. to turn me into some X-Men superhero. It's like, no, just to get to to basic, I need a couple it's to of- to turn things down, battles. actually. I think people yeah. might think a lot of the things that Tim Ferriss and people like you are doing are to amp up. But if I'm hearing you correctly, it's like, no- Let me just relate. I'm a guy that if you catch me as I'm coming off stage, if you catch me after I've just accomplished something and I'm really just burning glowing white 4th of July Christmas morning inside, and you were like, Pete, I know you have four things going on right now, but I really want to do this thing. Uh, And and you're like, Tim Ferriss show, this, that, or whatever. Uh, I'll I'll blow up on it because it's just pure, absolute creative energy. I'm happy to say I've gotten a little bit better at going like, I'll say to my wife all the time, I go, I'm manic right now, so we can't really trust what I'm saying. But I really think I could do a TV show where all I do is drink LaCroix and burp. And she's like, (laughs) I think you might be manic right now. Why don't you write it down, uh, take a walk, and, and then see. Because I'm actually trying to lower all of that monkey mind, as you said, and all of that clean burning potential. And, and it sounds like these processes you have are, are to focus and to calm down. So we don't overcommit. Yep. So we don't, I heard you use the term bottleneck. I, I don't know that term, but is that where everything goes through you and nothing can happen without you? Yeah. If you're, if you're a bottleneck and uh, I, I am a perfectionist. So I, this is another tendency of mine that I need to, constantly counteract. (laughs) If you're a bottleneck, let's just say you have employees, but they all report to you. Let's just make up an example. You have a hundred employees. This would be an extreme example. Could even just be one assistant, but let's say you have a hundred employees and every decision they make has to be approved by you. You are a bottleneck Mm. and it's like trying to get, you know, you have 50 corks in a bottle and they all have to get through the top. Well, that's going to be a mess if that, if that very top of the bottle is you. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of what I did, especially, and I'm, I'm actually revisiting this right now, so it's very timely, is, is how to allow other people to make more decisions, to give them more leeway, which includes the ability to make more mistakes, right? And I remember uh, seeing the advice that one, uh, I'm not going to mention by name because I don't know if it's public, but this very well-known billionaire said to his chief of staff, he said, I want you to move quickly. And he said, I expect at least 10% foot faults, meaning uh, an unforced error in tennis. It's kind of an arcane reference because he doesn't play tennis. But <laughs> he said, I, basically, I expect 10% fuck-ups, hmm. but I'm okay with that in exchange for you moving quickly. Oh, and wow. uh, so, so bottleneck can be, it could be a, an intersection in a city where traffic just gets fucked. Uh, because it's poorly designed. It could be a decision-making flow. could be a company structure. There are many different types of bottlenecks. It could be a rate-limiting step biologically, right? If, if there's like some limiting enzyme that doesn't allow you to do A, B, or C, or process ethanol, let's just say, right? That could mm-hmm. be sort of a metabolic bottleneck that causes issues in certain circumstances. Uh, so I spent a lot of time thinking about that uh, what is the solution? And, I, I'm over here going like, you get the hundred, you get fifty of those people to report to one person who reports to you. They can help be your liver a little bit, or 
Well, you could do that. You could do that, or you could you could uh, you could change the base assumptions a bit. So if the base assumption is I need to do everything as well as possible, which in the mind of a perfectionist means without mistakes, then you are going to end up personally examining everything that gets done. If instead of that, you say to yourself, all right, assumption number one in this company or like value number one is that to get the really important big stuff done, you have to get comfortable letting small bad things happen. Mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. then uh, that will change how you how people behave how you behave right and uh ha- how people self interrupt etc so it doesn't have to be simply shifting the decision making to another person uh a lot of it comes down to like should we be doing this in the first place right like let's look at the host of things that we're doing that are causing the bottleneck? Is it just a volume problem? Maybe this, maybe the process is fine. And this could be for one person too. Like if you're just like, fuck, and you've got 200 notifications on this and 150 over here, and then another 300 in your inbox, it's like, all right, is this, is this a process problem that I can fix by, by thinking about using new technology or hiring somebody? Or is it just because I am a people pleaser and I'm saying fucking yes to everything, right? Yeah. In which case it requires a different type of intervention. And uh, so that's, that's a bit of a, a brain dump on bottlenecks, but I do think about it a lot. Oh no, I love that, man. I had a million thoughts. And now that we're at a, at a pause, I'm like, what was I even going to say? It doesn't matter. Oh, look, this is what it was. Tim, I'm ready. I think this one might, you might enjoy this one. I got it from, there's a great YouTube series called um, Game Makers Toolkit. It's about how they make video games, design video games. I really love it. And there was this thing, obviously neither of us make video games, but you'll see the application. It's fail faster, find the fun. So obviously when I'm making it, what I heard you just say is, can we take the focus off of perfection? Can we remove the fear of these small mistakes, even maybe small daily mistakes? So I'm in a writer's room. And we're breaking a TV show and we're breaking a story. Let's just go ahead with the weird idea. What if there's a time travel episode and he goes back and it starts getting really fucking weird, right? Let's do it. Even if it's going to fail, we don't know. We hope it doesn't, but let's fail fast. Let's fail fast. Let's fail like 50 times a day. I mean, is that up your alley? It's so up your alley. We're getting mugged right now, right? I mean, that's (laughs) it. Fail faster. Yeah it, yeah, it is. I mean, I maybe this is just like semantic tomfoolery, but uh, the way the term you hear a lot, I'm no longer in Silicon Valley. I was there for 20 years. I'm in uh, Austin, Texas now, but have been here for a couple of years. But the, the, the word is like iterate. So I think in terms of experiments and iteration, because for me, and this might just underscore uh, sort of a uh, childlike nature of me, but I, I, I actually hate failing. Like I, I'm very competitive. I love winning. I hate failing. That word has such a heavy connotation for me that I steer away from it, even though I, I agree with you in principle. But when I'm thinking about, I think about my life in terms of experiments and iteration. And that takes the sting out of that word mm, for me. Tell me what those mean. Experiment. Well, well, well so, so if we were in, if, if you were committing to an experimental culture in the writing room or in the writer's room, and you're like, okay, we're going to do this. Uh, oh boy. Okay, so let me try to unpack this. So the <laughs> the so there's 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 the experimental 
mindset and iterating, which just means revising and testing again, where you can look at what you do. I kind of look at my whole life as like two week collections of two week experiments, which are like these macro experiments and then like six month experiments. And yeah, the timeline can change, but I, I really think about it that way. And then the, the next piece of that, uh, so let's just say that's the efficiency piece, like doing things well and not fooling yourself. If we back up a step and say, wait a second, well, let's choose the right things to do first. I try to pick projects or experiments where I, where I win even if I fail. Uh, and this is something that, that Scott Adams of Dilbert fame has talked about quite a bit, and he's actually written a book on it, which means if you pursue this time travel episode, right? Uh, are there skills you could learn? Are there areas you could explore? Are there people you could bring into these episodes? So relationships you could cultivate that would transcend that episode, even if it were an abysmal failure by network standards or or by your standards, right? And when I look at a lot of the people whose work I admire, let's just say like Jim Cameron, right, the director, notoriously a hard ass, but you look at something like The Abyss, his movie with a lot of underwater uh, shooting and working with different types of morphing technologies and computer-generated uh, graph uh, generated graphics that they were the seeds that were developed through abyss that then lent themselves to terminator 2 that then lent themselves to all of these other films liquid which were water s- became liquid eggs exactly huge successes uh, if you look at a lot of science that from a layperson's perspective would be a failure in so much as like we did this experiment we ran it with 100 subjects and the compound x was shown to have no effect right if they're picking their, if the scientists are really picking their projects well, they could learn so much from that that the next study or a study two years later they do is informed by that and ends up being this groundbreaking study and they win a Nobel Prize ultimately. That's I mean, that exactly kind of, what it is. Yeah. That that's what the Game Maker's Toolkit is. Is that did you? I don't know. Are you a gamer at all? Even a little? When I was when I was a kid. But we're talking okay. prim, primitive, you know, Spy Hunter and uh, oh, spy hunter. Load Runner and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, I won't bore you, but there was a very breakthrough game, sort of like the abyss of games or, or maybe Terminator 2 of games. It wasn't super popular, but it was an indie game that really blew up. And it's called Braid. And Braid is like Mario Brothers. But if you die, you press B and it rewinds. So there's a uh-huh. time function. Um, and then it just gets into the most mind-bending puzzles you could ever imagine. And I don't need to talk about this any more than I already have. It came because he made a game, and by making that game, it failed. But the one thing that he took from the game was this idea of rewinding time, which then became the huge hit. So yeah. the wasted – there is no wasted time. It, I mean, we're talking about – if you want to talk about stand-up comedy, it's all of these terrible shows – where you learn a micro cadence. Like even the way that I'm talking to you right now, talk about games we're playing. I've heard Tony Robbins talk about this. It's, it's the variation of inflection. And like, this is all something I learned, you know, like you just figure it out over time that mammals tend to perk their ears. If you're just like, Hey, everybody, not, not that I talk that way, but you want to do some of that. And that came from, bombing and playing around and being like, look, I bombed, but I really think I got them listening. 
yeah, yeah. Stand up, stand up is actually a a really excellent example of the scientific method mm. because, like, science capital S science that's not a thing. When people are like science shows, like, no, that's like saying God, God shows. It's the same that's, that's so type of kind of dogmatic, uh, like cover your eyes and point at the. Yeah, solution I believe stuff. in science. You you believe yeah. in a, a method yeah. of uh, well, go on, keep going. Yeah, yeah. So 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 the so stand up comedy. I mean, I, I some of my favorite stand up comedy I've ever seen has been people workshopping their really rough draft stuff with pad and paper and they'll try something and it's fucking crickets and they're like, okay. And they like cross that one out and they come in with, you know, a hypothesis or a set of hypotheses about what they think will work. They Mm -hmm. test it, they get feedback and then they iterate, they revise it and they try it again. And I've heard uh, Seinfeld if, liken it to an algebra proof as well. You're, you're trying yeah. to say cotton balls are important to women. Cotton balls are not important to men. And, and then you try and prove it with absurd logic. It's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. So, so the you know time is not wasted or there's no time wasted, I think is true if, if there is reflection. And this is where it's so critical to have the space not just the space, but scheduled space in which to do this. Because if you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to, with stand up, it's built in because you can't really proceed without reflecting on what you've done. It's the treadmill. It's cheating. Like people are like, oh my God, how do you write stand up? It's a compulsion. It becomes an addiction. And when you write a book, it's different from, maybe you do do public readings of your book. I think that's something David Sedaris does a brilliant idea because now you have a deadline. I have that seven o'clock show. I'm going to read some of the book and then you have to read it out loud and see where it works. I mean, this is one of the greatest hacks of writing I've known because people are like, wow, you write a new hour of stand up every couple of years. And it's like, yeah, I'm throwing rocks into the fire and the gold comes back. It's, it's like, performing for lions or something. You're going to hut two because there's a fucking lion in the room. It's, it's what's more impressive to me is you a Ryan sitting with no feedback and going chapter one, like trying to imagine <laughs> a future scenario where I might be reading it and what I might like. It's, it's, yeah. it's imagination time. It's more difficult. I, I cheat. Uh, I don't, I, I wouldn't say cheat, but I actually uh, workshop, a lot of book material through blog posts. Uh, used to do it through public speaking. I don't really do public speaking anymore. And uh, so you have blog posts, public speaking, and podcasts. Brilliant. So, yeah. so I workshop a lot of what I might consider working on through those three channels, and I get a lot of feedback. And the, I mean, the challenge with the internet is parsing the feedback so that you're finding some kind of meaningful signal. But uh, I will also, even in a very old-fashioned sense, take chapters from books I'm working on. And uh, we'll see how many more books I write. Uh, The podcasting gig makes it uh, very uh, difficult to justify working on another 600-page book. But the, the, the approach that I take very often, and it's really simple, is I'll take a chapter, I'll send it to four or five people like Ryan, and I'll say, if you had to cut 20% of this, you can't leave it alone. You had to cut 20%, which 20% would you cut? And if you, ha- if you could only keep 20%, so 
80% is going to get cut, but you have to choose 20% mm. to keep, which would you keep? And then I look at the responses from five people I really respect. And my policy is if anyone loves something, it stays in. Even if it's just one person, it stays in because I take that to represent quite a few people. Mm-hmm. And if there's any consensus on the things to cut, they come out. If there's more is, than one. Yeah. That's so ego is the enemy right there. That is so the, the vulnerability, I think, is what scares people, both of stand up and writing. And it sounds like I heard you talk about um, fear mapping, fear setting. Fear setting. Mm-hmm. It's like, what's the worst that could happen? So you have to eat crow a little bit. Ryan writes you back and he goes, Tim, I don't know if you hit your head or something, but I'd cut a hundred <laughs> of this. And you go, yeah. oh, that's humiliation. You now have four hours, maybe four days of a, a dark cloud over your head. But the reward, if I'm hearing fear setting correctly, playing it out, what's the worst that could happen? The reward is he shows you the gold and then in three months, you have a best-selling book. I mean, yeah. is that a good summary? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's close. I would say that if you view it all as feedback and not failure, uh, then the sting goes away. So, mm-hmm. And furthermore, if you do it frequently, right? So let's just take an example. If you're an employee or an employer, but you have, let's say you have performance reviews once a year. That's going to be stressful for employees and for the employer. It's going to be this big thing. There's going to be much ado about it. There's, it's going to feel like a lot is on the line. A lot is at stake. Okay. Well, let's, let's say you did performance reviews every week. That's right. It would be, it would be a different thing. It would, mm-hmm. it would have a completely different psychological dynamic and the, the hangover from the hangover, whether the hangover is depressive or manic would be much uh, toned down. And mm-hmm. the, for that reason, I don't save the feedback for every once in a while. Like I am constantly soliciting feedback really? constantly, constantly, constantly. I'll give you an example of somebody who does it really well is Adam Grant, who I've had on my podcast. And we were talking after we finished recording and he, he asked me, what is one thing I could do to improve? Uh, something along those lines. And I was like, yeah, nothing's quite coming to mind. He's like, I'm not gonna let you off the phone. He's like, you have to come up with something. Like, what is one (laughs) thing, if you had to pick something that I could do to improve or something that bothered you? And he would not let me get off the phone until I had thought through it and gave him something. And he was really appreciative. And that is his MO. And if you make that your MO, criticism loses its it's sting largely because especially when you are soliciting the feedback, it's generally going to come back to you in a pretty constructive way. And they might be like, dude, what have you been smoking? <laughs> like, this right, is terrible. Right, right. Uh, but in my experience, uh, the, the friends I go to are also people who a generally, not always, but practice the craft. Uh, so they know how to deliver the your baby is ugly news without making it unnecessarily brutal right uh and uh i i will often do it with lawyers uh or people who have legal training oddly enough because they they can deliver feedback very neutrally and they're really good at identifying where your thinking is sloppy or there are extra words or things aren't defined properly. You're absolutely, I've had a lot of phone calls with bad news with lawyers where I'm like, it sounds like you just said today is Wednesday. 
but he just, he just told me I'm fired. But all I heard was today. Was yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they get at it. I, I, I love that. Uh, taking the pressure off. A couple things came to mind. One was, were you done? It, I, I couldn't tell. Oh, I'm done. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's, there's, you're not done. I mean, no, no, I, I, I'm just, I'm off, I'm, I'm off piece. I'm going, I'm off the, no. off the ski mountain. So we can go this, wherever you want. Yeah. This is, this is brilliant. One was that stand up is what you're talking about. Like I, like the great stand ups that I know, I've been doing it for 20 years. I can bomb and it's, and it's almost just sort of like, huh, because there's a set tomorrow or that maybe there's an, another set that night in New York going between the cellar and, and the fat back black pussycat going between those two rooms, you can kill, then you go bomb, then you go back to the other one and you bomb, and then you go back to the other one and you kill. A lot of standards will be like, you really just want to end on a kill. Like, cause you're going to go home with the last one. Um, but you're normalizing, you're sort of failing faster. The other thing that came to mind was, uh, forgive me listeners, I've been talking about this a lot, but I, I've really reconciled with my family over the past, uh, during the quarantine a lot. And um, now I call them once a week. And I didn't know that calling once every two months was actually making it way worse. You think you're making it easier on yourself. Well, I'll only subject myself to a phone call home once every two months. But then that phone call becomes, as you said, the annual review. And there was all this pressure. Imagine talking to somebody that you pushed out of your body and maybe you're in a bad mood that day and you know he's not going to call again for two months. It, it sucks. Whereas if you call, now I call on a Sunday, maybe they're on their way into dinner. I only have 15 minutes with them, but it doesn't matter. They know I'm going to call next week. So yeah, what, what you're saying is so, so true. I wonder if you've uh, been exposed to Byron Katie, the work. It reminds me of- Yeah, yeah of, I definitely uh, have. Of I definitely Katie. have. And yeah. uh, Byron Katie's the work- really scrutinizing the statements that you make, right? The, uh, the beliefs, in other words, the thoughts that you take to be true, uh, is, uh, I found to be extremely helpful. I sh- I should probably practice it more than I do, but I do. And it combines really well with morning pages. So you do the, I, I the morning pages are doing it. Yeah. yeah. So the morning pages is kind of this, this brain vomit. And then you look, you like read the chunks in the vomit. I'm just going to push this metaphor. <laughs> and and uh, probably should have started with tea leaves, but, and, and the, what you end up doing pretty intuitively with morning pages, when you're scrutinizing those thoughts, you can do more methodically with Byron Katie and the work. For sure. I, it, it, I'm not just uh, buttering your bread. It sounds like you're already doing it. It sounds like if we were kind of, you're just an inspiring guy and I've been watching your videos and getting ready for this interview, but it's like to put it in a Tim Ferriss way, you're sort of reducing it to like, what is the core? Like, what are the, what are the thousand Japanese characters I need to know? Or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, can, yeah. And morning pages, Byron Katie, these things overlap. In fact, it's one of the most surprising joys of my life. I don't know if you know that I, I love mysticism. I love mm-hmm. experiential spirituality and psychedelics, which we could talk about. Um, and for some reason, Tim, I can't even explain it. It's like how some people love music. I love finding that what they wrote in the Tao Te Ching is came out of Jesus' Jesus's mouth, came out of Buddha's mouth, came out of whatever it's in the Upanishads, whatever it might be. 
I get so, nothing is better in my life than going, oh my God, it's one truth. Like there, there is, as best we can understand, I'm not saying we can understand it, but we yeah. can we can smell it. When cookies are cooking, you can smell it. You may, you might not ever be able to eat those cookies, you know, to push this more delicious metaphor, but at least you can intuit that you can smell like, oh my God, it, it's not about collecting and reciting the right beliefs and belonging to the right group. We're all held by the same thing. It just, it just yeah. lights me up inside. And that sort of brings us to the Royale and meaning making, but you can take from that whatever you'd like. I was just going to say that we have a lot of shared interests and uh, mysticism, the direct experience of fill in the blank, whichever word you want to use, transcendence, unity, God. I tend to stay away from the G word just because it gets people all fired up one way or the other, but is incredibly interesting to me. And I only in the last, say, four to five years have been reading quite a lot of poetry and uh, generally poetry from someone like Hafez or Rumi who have a very comically absurd, but powerfully insightful way of putting experience into prose. Right. So that combination to me is so effective for making these breadcrumbs appealing uh, like the smell of the cookies and what I what comes to mind also for me is is that there are truths, but truth is also one of those words that tends to divide the audience. So another way that I might think about it, and I do think about it, is that these words are alluding to a single or common experience that you can experience. Right? This is not relegated to the people we put in the category of profit or, you know, bodhisattva or fill in the blank that many of these experiences are in fact available to all of us. If we just fucking pay attention and to pay attention, at least for me, I find it necessary. And maybe, I mean, my mind really, once it gets going like a lawnmower. I mean, it can ruminate like nobody's business and it can crowd out just about everything. Mm. So for me, I need the space in terms of time, right? Let's just say a couple hours of un, un, uh, uncluttered time for any kind of creative project. I need physical space and exposure to nature. Uh, need is a strong word. I find these things very helpful. And I need some degree of mental quietness. Uh, so, because sometimes for me, uh, and certainly you know, psychedelics are a uh, performance enhancing drug in this respect, yeah. but yeah. sometimes, sometimes the insights or the uncomfortable, not always uncomfortable, but necessary truths in your own life that you only are able to see in some of these non-ordinary states, not necessarily drug-induced, are kind of a shout or like a billboard in your face. But other times, it's like a a whisper from across a a crowded room. And if you've got like, you know, these bobbleheads in that room that are social media, that are 
the news headlines that you're using to infuriate yourself that are your kind of sort of friends you wish you didn't have who like drain mm. you of energy who are texting you all the fucking time. Mm. If, if you have all of that in between you and that whisper, you're just not going to hear it. Uh, so these are things that I think about. 10 uh, out of 10. I love that. I, I, I'm not responding as much because we're over Zoom and I really just don't want to interrupt you, but I would be shouting and clapping and laughing <laughs> because I mean, that's it. I mean, the distinction between a series of thoughts. So you shied away from the word truth, which I think is brilliant. Because if we go back to dogma and we go back to um, uh, building, building, making a structure, and this is our church and this is our God, and these are our thoughts, and I can murder you if you don't have those thoughts, not that long ago, and to some extent still to this day, um, we're talking about a series of truths, which are just agreed upon ideas that you carry around in your head and you recite. And that's why we started this by saying mysticism is an experiential um, under, it's not even an understanding. There's no understanding. There's no understanding, but if you can stop, not the thing that's, uh, reading the headline not, not the headlines, the thing that's within which everything exists. I mean, that, that is the key. And that does seem to require the things you mentioned, silence, nature. I mean, all the places they tell you not to take psychedelics. I, I'm in quarantine for two weeks. I briefly can, I didn't, uh, made the people of Canada know that I would, I, I'm just not that sort of person, but I was like, Oh, I wonder if I should try and, uh, take psychedelics there. And I was like, that's a terrible idea. I literally can't go in the sunlight. I'm, I'm in quarantine. I, di- I didn't tell you that, but I'm shooting a small thing in a movie and I'm in quarantine for two weeks to be safe. Um, and day one, I was like, that's the worst idea I've ever had. But the, same, <laughs> the same restrictions I would put on where I would t- take psychedelics tend to correspond to like, where would I most likely experience with a nod to the fact that we can't be apart from it, but where am I most likely to smell the cookies and experience the divine? It's probably in a quiet place. It's probably alone. It probably involves some silence and it definitely Again, need is a strong word, but it would be enhanced greatly by nature. Yeah. Um, th- there's that great line in the Tao. There's the four powers. There's um, the earth, the man, man, earth, the universe, and the Tao. The Tao being the unspeakable, unborn thing that seems to be mm-hmm. at play here. And they were like, man follows the earth. I was like, that's brilliant. We, we take our cues from the earth. Our feelings feel like the rain. It feels like the dark. It feels like the ocean. Sometimes it feels like the springtime. Like we follow the patterns of the earth. The earth follows the universe and the universe follows the Tao. The Tao only follows itself. I was like, that's, mm. that's what makes it. How can we not be lit up by the idea of ultimate, of the thing that isn't mirroring, that isn't playing that just is the spark within everything that is playing and that, and that is as good with it. And when I say loves it, I just mean quite literally is animating it, is, is playing it as it. Um, that's the yeah. love that's holding your molecules together. Sorry, I just got yeah. preaching. I, I've been alone for three days. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's totally, totally okay. And, you know, Dao is really cool character in Chinese and uh, it can it 
is it can be used in many different senses. It's the same character as the do, like the the path or the way of aikido, like aikido, or judo, the gentle way. The do is the same character as dao, wow. uh, and uh, it's a beautiful character that sort of begets a lot of questions once you apply it in the, the philosophical realm or the mystical realm. Uh, but the, the Tao Te Ching is a, a fascinating book. <laughs> and, you know, part of what I, I like about it and what I think I also previously found very frustrating about it is that it, it translated into English, even in Chinese, quite frankly, uh, it is like a Rorschach test in a sense, right? Like you're dis, you're you're given this text that could be interpreted any any number at dozens, hundreds of ways and it can act as a prompt for taking your mind in a certain direction, but like your mind, your psyche is kind of choosing that direction prompted by this cue. And uh, you know, for that reason, uh, I think that it's it's super super fascinating and it's you know not too dissimilar from the way that the I Ching was used for divination and so on Mm. um so it's uh sort of goes into the topic that we want to talk about which is you build like what isn't going through your filters I, i i feel like you're a guy that's had that humiliation meaning you've been humbled in knowing that you sort of you're not trapped in tim ferris's psychology and his brain and his chemistry but like you're aware of it. And that, and that's empowering to go like, when I read the Tao Te Ching, I read that verse, verse 25. I heard that and I go, that's right, because sometimes I feel like the ocean. But that's not really the point. It's not to concretize the infinite unknowable. It's to point me past my own bullshit, hopefully to a space of quiet where I go, look, like a good acid trip or a mushroom trip, you come back and go like, I couldn't even tarnish what just happened in words, but it happened to me. Like, I won't be able to forget it. I'll never be able to explain it. And that is a very profound, you go from the guy that goes like, Jesus said it, I believe it, that settles it to going, I can't say it. I can't even say I believe it. And nothing is settled. And that, yeah. that puts me more on a space rock floating in expanding infinity. And that's where I want to be. <laughs> that's where I want to be yeah. with you right now, Tim. We're talking over the fucking internet on a space rock. And let's not get into the speeds of the rotation and the hurtling. Who cares? It's going fucking fast. And it's nuts that you have a beautiful black paneled kitchen right now. Like everything is nuts. <laughs> everything is nuts. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, just to sort of build off of, of, of one one of the points you just made, which is uh, if I and correct me if I'm not hearing it correctly, but the the ability to inhabit yourself, but to also recognize it, like if if you can observe, if I can observe the Tim who is having emotions, would it not logically follow that I am not those emotions? Right? I I am not angry. I am not sad. Like the I becomes quite a fascinating kind mm-hmm. of uh, ball of play-doh because you're like okay wait a second i thought i was just the play-doh like the movie on the projector but now i'm sitting in the audience watching this mm-hmm. movie okay 
Well, that, that can be very liberating. You can experience this through meditation. I think Sam Harris's waking up app is incredible. Uh, I have no vested interest in that other than knowing Sam and having used the app a lot for training you to disidentify with these uh, thoughts and emotions that you may just take to be you. I am just X. I am just Y. And uh, that that has been incredibly freeing. And uh, it's it's not this this isn't a ungraspable kind of woo woo uh, theoretical point. Like you can meditate on these things through an app or any number of means, and realize pretty quickly, like, huh. Mm-hmm. Interesting how my like autonomic nervous system drops down a few gears and now I'm calm for two hours after after just walking through a guided meditation for 10 minutes of disidentifying with these strong emotions and thoughts that come up. And that's mysticism. That's, that's ex- interesting. I didn't just tell you you're the observing presence of your emotions. You can experience it. And that's yep. where the juice is. I, I love yeah. what Ramdas would say is there is anger. As somebody, again, you've been open about your depression. I have experienced depression. Anxiety is a bigger one for me. When you say there is anxiety instead of I am anxious, just that shift can really make a big difference. Me and Val are very weird. I'll say the Peteness is anxious or, or, you know, or like, (laughs) or I might say to my podcast guests, as I have to you, I, I don't phrase it this way, but what I mean is I'm sorry, Pete, it goes on tangents. You know what I mean? Like yeah, 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 yeah. That's not to excuse it. That's not to say I'm not working on it. But the dis- disidentification with it has a beautiful result that actually ends up leading to Pete interrupting less and Pete feeling less anxious. Believe it totally. or not, this is me interrupting less. <laughs> <laughs> you know, another another turn of phrase, I, I love languages. I... I, I think about language a lot uh, because I mean, you know, the, the limits of your language or the limits of your world as, you know, Wittgenstein Ludwig, that is, would, would say, I, I really agree with, um, and you see it in different cultures. You see it in all sorts of misunderstandings. It's, I'm going to go somewhere with this in it's a sec, but it's like, if you take a newborn child and you like turn their head at, the scene behind me they don't they don't they don't have the label for stove for microwave for stove, cabinets stove. yeah they don't, they don't have not those, cabinets they don't have those labels and until they until they do on some level it is largely an undifferentiated well i shouldn't say undifferentiated but it's like a blob of colors and darkness and bright and of which they're included they don't even know their yeah. own Ramdas right. also says that he says you go around pinching you go oh I pinch me then you pinch the bedpost and you go oh, okay bedpost is not me but in the beginning yeah. again not even in a woo woo way we're just talking we're we're hypothetically saying what a baby might be experiencing it's all just sort of it's all just sort of happening <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and and for me then from the very kind of basic building blocks of human consciousness and perception I think about. Um, how how we can change language to change perception to change behavior 
And I think it's a very direct way, actually, to, to change both perception and behavior. I'll give an example. There's a guy named Jim Detmer, D-E-T-H-M-E-R, who I've, I've had on my podcast, who, uh, is, let's see, I'm not sure how he would describe himself. He's, he's involved with something called the Conscious Leadership Group. They work with a lot of CEOs and so on, and they've written books. A lot of his practices are Buddhist in flavor, but mindfulness-focused. Uh, which, just as a quick aside, because I love this stuff, I just learned that mindfulness, the English uh, label that we apply to different types of kind of open monitoring meditation is a rough slash poor translation of a word called drempa in Tibetan, which means to become conscious, uh, which brings up all sorts of, of questions because sort of mindful has a different connotation in a way. But the, the point I was going to make is... Jim encouraged me to say in place of I am anxious or even I am feeling. So you could go third party like, like you did, right? Pete or Tim is. He took a slightly different approach, which is not better. It's just different for different purposes where if I, if I use these adjectives, anxious, scared, depressed, I have to use uh, the phrasing of I'm making myself depressed because I'm making myself anxious because I am scaring myself because so I'm making myself a direct object. And what that does is it shifts the locus of control to you. And it's such, it seems like such a pedantic Mm. small thing. And it has not been a small thing for me to uh, ask, say, my girlfriend to hold me accountable, which I did a couple of months ago. I felt I didn't fall off the wagon, but I haven't asked her to enforce as much. But we talked about it, and I said, if you hear me say, like, I am anxious or whatever, remind me about the rephrasing. And this, yeah, yeah. I'm making myself because, though. I'm curious, how deep do you go or how surface do you go with that? I'm making myself anxious because. Right. So, uh, because I'm afraid that blah, 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 or I'm afraid because I'm making myself, I'm making myself afraid because the, because is such a a cool prompt because it's, it's sort of like, uh, the selective Google search that you were talking about of like health benefits of scotch after you had a bunch of scotch. (laughs) If, if, if you, if you say like, uh, let's give two different examples, right? Like I'm making myself depressed because dot, dot, dot. And you give someone a minute, like no rush. Just like give yourself a minute and like come up with a couple of things. They can be bad ideas, just like material getting on stage. Like, look, come up with it. If you're so stuck because you can't come up with a great fucking joke, like come up with a bunch of shitty jokes and like a good one will sneak in. Mm -hmm. So similarly, it's like, all right, I'm making myself depressed because, or I'm making myself anxious. That's a bit easier because usually you have something in mind in the future that you're already suffering from, right? Uh, you know, making myself anxious because, uh, then give it a minute and then you can, you can try the opposite, which is, you know, I am happy because now, or I'm making myself happy or I should make myself happy because, and your brain will serve up answers, mm-hmm. very plausible answers to both of those. And wow. so you can, you can use it to a develop a greater perception of being the agent of change as it relates to your emotions. And you can also tilt it 
And you don't have to tell, I mean, as someone who, I mean, not, not as much in the last five or six years, but certainly for decades battled with very extreme chronic depression, at least a few times a year, a tilt of just a few degrees can make a big difference. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. If you're, if you're enveloped in the darkness of your own self-loathing and pessimism and hopelessness, like a tilt of a few degrees makes a big difference. And, and I was mm. experimenting with this while I was, um, been doing breathing exercises for the last maybe 20 weeks related to heart rate variability training. We could talk about that if you want, but it's kind of interesting actually, but the, I've been doing this, these breathing exercises. And during one of them recently, I was like, I am, there are these certain emotions that I view as fleeting or uh, elusive, right? The joy, let's just say. I, I don't think I'm actually great at feeling joy, to be honest. I, I kind of sublimated that. No, sublimate's too pretty a word, like kind of cauterized that for a long time. Mm. Uh, but but I was like, I am I am joyful because, and then I would just sit there as I was doing these breathing exercises and like, lo and behold, like five or six very good reasons would pop up. And then I would find myself feeling joyful and that would extend wow. through the breathing. And then after the breathing and I'm like, huh, that's quite a fucking parlor trick. Yeah. Uh, but it's just from my perspective, reinforcing what I believe, which is like your language shapes your reality in a very direct way. Wow. Very, very I, direct way. I love that. It, it reminds me of gratitude lists, things like mm-hmm. that. And obviously yeah. This, this sort of harkens back to our conversation about social media. I, I'm not a big addict of news headlines, but I've noticed that if I am curious to look at the news headlines or if I'm curious to look at my at replies on Twitter, um, there's something going on. There's, something un, there's a feeling of unworthiness. There's a feeling of self-loathing. These are subconscious feelings that want to be mirrored. I, I sort of want someone to tell me, you look like the corpse of this person stung by bees or whatever it might be. I want them to say that. So that as Eckhart Tolle would say, so my pain body, so the, the collective uh, set of thoughts, beliefs and experiences that feels that can feed. He uses the word feed like a werewolf and it wants to feed. And, and I, I find that to be very true. And when I'm looking or if I have that impulse to look, what did Trump do today? I realize it's <laughs> it's starting in me. Something in me was going, I'm a narcissist. I'm a blowhard. I'm an asshole or whatever it might be. And I'm looking for some sort of reflection, which is, yeah. which is pretty dangerous. I'd love to talk about the heart re- uh, breathing exercises. I'm going to give you a two-pronger. At some point- will, I love the two-prongers. The two-prongers- <laughs> I mean, let's just get really overstimulated. Um, <laughs> the Royale, and and we've talked a little bit about making meaning. Mm-hmm. So maybe we should go into the breathing exercise now that I've stopped to consider. We talked about the baby and, and the yeah. pinch and all that sort of stuff. So, Yeah, I mean, meaning, uh, talk about a word that can have a lot of meanings, right? That's one. I'm, I'm going to go to the heart rate variability, but I mean, we could certainly talk about meaning as as it would be defined as sort of fulfillment and contentment in life, which is different from like meaning definition of objects and stuff like that. But on the heart rate variability, just real quickly, uh, Hmm. the language, the changing of language to change your 
perception and behavior is, is sort of a, a top-down approach. Uh, and what, what has been impressed upon me, and I'm still testing it out, but I have seen some really promising early results, is that perhaps one of the best ways to change how you think is to change your physiology first, particularly if you have, uh, uh, as I do in my case, some, some pretty, uh, some pretty heavy childhood abuse and trauma. So, uh, my default is hypervigilant, right? So I will wake up. If I take my heart rate, like immediately upon waking, it's high, right? Like my heart rate can Mm. be elevated dramatically just by, a barking dog in the distance. I'm very uh, cardiac overreactive in that way. Mm-hmm. And so I've been spending time with this, uh, with this doctor who specializes in heart rate variability training and to define heart rate variability in the simplest form, just for now, for the purposes of discussion, it's, it's a cardiac indicator of emotional resilience. So how, quickly you can kind of turn on if you were say a basketball player or something and how quickly you can turn off like let's say you're sprinting down the court and then you have to make a foul throw right well you better be able to calm your nerves when everyone is like hissing and booing behind i was just basket i'm re-watching the last dance there's a great moment where jordan has to hit a a game-winning free throw and i'm like jesus christ that impressed me more than the flying through the air i was like so so impressed i've also had the thought i was like we need to get a heart rate monitor on um i have all all the faith that it would work on eckhart tolle i'm sure you'd want to do it it's like can i see the physiological evidence just for fun of yeah. your calmness and can someone yeah. yell at you like are you willing to have me say you're a fraud because <laughs> not not to disprove i'm i'm a yeah. person who's totally on board yeah. but just to celebrate like shit. holy shit <laughs> yeah yeah and to stress test it too right uh, I, yeah. I will say i don't know eckhart but i i will say that there are a lot of fucking charlatans out there um, yeah, and you know, I, so so it would be a nice little stress test to be able to. I've had like, the thought for people that I'm yeah. more suspicious of. Eckhart is yeah. is one of my greatest teachers, but yeah. there's some people I'm like, oh, there's this new guy. Can we put a Fitbit on him? Yeah, yeah. Let's <laughs> let's let's see what's going on under the hood. Yeah. yeah. So the so, so the HRV, if we think of it as emotional resilience, right? How quickly you can let go of things if people slight you or you're cut off in traffic or whatever it is, and you can train yourself you can train your physiology to improve heart rate variability over time. I've seen it in my numbers. And uh, the, the basic premise there is that you can work bottom up. So by training your physiology to be more resilient, less hypervigilant and hyperreactive, that that in turn will produce changes in your emotions, which will produce changes in your state, which will produce changes in the stories you tell yourself, right? So if the language is the stories, we're kind of working from the stories down to the emotions and so on, and then the physiology. But I do think that there is a lot to be said for experimenting in the other direction. So that's why I'm doing this breath work is it like on, on a daily basis? Is that what this is? Uh, in this case, what they're trying to do, and they do this with testing. So I have respiratory straps. I have uh, 
pulse oximeters and different tools that I hook up to a laptop and I, I will train with this doctor, share screen over Zoom, and she will look at the patterns that she sees in my heartbeat and my breath superimposed onto a single graph. And then it's broken down into different frequencies. And the breathing pattern is individualized. In this particular practice with this doctor, her name is Leah Lagos. She actually has a book on this, uh, Lagos, L-A-G-O-S. So my breath work would be different from yours. And it's really just a timed inhale and exhale. So there's no hold at the top or the bottom. Uh, in my case, it's a 3.7 second inhale and a 6.3 second exhale mm. in through the nose, out through the mouth. But that is that was determined after trying a bunch of different options and trying to find a particular ratio that changed by biometrics in a way that she wanted to make our target, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I've done similar yep. stuff where you, you want your heartbeat and your in breath, out breath, they, they sort of start to sync up. That's, that's what's happened in my experience. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's part of it. Also looking at how quickly you can drop your heart rate, right? So I, I don't recall my exact numbers, but I've, I, I want to say double doubled or tripled the heartbeats per minute that I can drop on one or two breaths. Uh, wow. there are people who can do it in half a breath or even no breath, uh, which is, is, is pretty wild when you see people who are really good at this stuff, Whoa. whether by training or just yeah. intrinsically really, uh, really gifted. So, so for not just for golf, not just for say, uh, it's used a lot in the world of finance, actually a lot of very, very famous, uh, finance folks use this when they're trading or making investment decisions. It, it has the most practical application for me in just the daily mundane shit, right? Like (laughs) if I make the mistake of like wading into the pool full of urine, that is a lot of Twitter. And I see some remark that just like cuts me in some way that really bothers me. Right. Mm -hmm. Is that going to bother me for the rest of the day? Or am I going to be able to let go of it? And if so, like how quickly can I let go of that? And it's such a stupid little example, but I think for a lot of people, it is a very relevant example. Uh, It's What is uh, this called again, Tim? What is the practice called? Heart rate variability training. So HRV training. And Mm. the doctor's name is Leah Lagos, L-E-A-H, last name L-A-G-O-S. And she has a book out that describes this and the tools you can use. and uh, it's fascinating. I would say that from the standpoint of an experiment, right? I've seen a lot of benefits. I've seen very rapid reversion to my previous uh, programming if I stop, which I don't like, of course. Right. Um, but I found certainly enough value in it. And the premise makes a lot of sense to me. The, the the premise of it, the assumptions of it, I think are worth testing and make a lot of sense. And I know people who have done this type of training, who I respect a lot and who are quite skeptical in nature. Hmm. So, so I'm I, pursuing it from, I'm kind of pursuing it from both directions in terms I of love that top down, yeah, bottom up. Change. Yeah. Well, they, again, I'm watching the last dance uh, again. It's so good. So good. It's, it's so, good. so good. I just love it. It's see, I'm, I'm in that real, I'm getting so much done. I'm writing so much. I'm alone for two weeks and I have a two year old. So it's very special time for me. So like watching that is like right on the level I'm trying to be at. 
Um, but they talk about coaches that just like there's 30 seconds left and you're down by two. And it's like they, the players would remark at how calm the coach was. And it's like, whether or not they, they studied this stuff, some people were intuitively practicing, like knowing how to drop that heart rate and staying calm. And for me, for all of my fervor for spirituality and whatever, I, I am sometimes taken aback or I just have to, again, humble myself because I see I'll read something negative and it will bother me for the day. There, I'm sure you've heard the Velcro Teflon theory, like uh, a negative thing is like Velcro and, and a positive yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. You have to sit with it, I think, a positive thing for seven seconds to make sure it sticks. If I'm like, Tim, your work has changed my life. You can't yeah. just go, hey, thanks, man. Like you have, if you want it, yeah. you have to yeah. stop and have it. But if I say, Tim, you're a piece of shit, you're a charlatan, uh, whatever. Um, that'll, I don't, I didn't even like saying that as an example because I know how those spells can be cast. So just to be clear, yeah. I, didn't, didn't <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, just to, just to, just to, uh, uh, just to invoke one name that you've brought up and I, I know you're very familiar with. So Ram Das, you know, one of his, one of his quotes that is real, one of my absolute favorites. And I don't know if I'm misattributing, like, you know, Abraham Lincoln gets half the quotes on the internet, but uh, I believe it was Ram Das who said, if you think you're enlightened to go spend a week with your family. Yeah. Me and Ryan say that to each other a lot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's Ryan just, Holly. you know, it's like, okay, you're, you're, this is Zen masters figured it all out, huh? Okay. All right. That, that's <laughs> absolutely true. And the podcast that, um, this is a Friday, the podcast that came out today, the Friday episodes I do with me and Val, we were just talking about. Um, that exact phenomenon, how it's like, oh, I, I thought I was so much further than this, but like, here I am losing my temper or whatever it might be. <laughs> but, and, and that uh, Stephen Mitchell, have you read the gospel according to Jesus? I think you would love it. I, I have not. It might be, I'm, I'm not going to sell you on it because you're well read, but it's, it's um, like the founding fathers, our stoic founding fathers, who are very interested in finding what was historically accurate when it came to the teachings of Jesus. He wrote the gospel according to Jesus. It'll take you about 20 minutes to read. The rest is the introduction and the footnotes, which are just unbelievable. Um, but he sort of humanizes Jesus and goes into some of what the gospel accounts are in his interpretation. And I share it um, conflict with his family like having some of those issues. We all know that Jesus at a prophet in his hometown isn't accepted, you know, and, but there's other passages that are historically sound of him being like, Hey, your mother's outside. And he's like, why do you call that person? My mother, these people are my mothers. These people are my brothers. It's like, that doesn't, I mean, all love to JC. That doesn't sound like somebody that had yet made the full peace with the, with uh, what Steven sort of hypothesizes, uh, hypothe what's the word? Hypothesizes. Hypo I wanted that verb. Hypothesizes as his mother grew up with the stigma of being an adulteress. That was the belief. People didn't believe that she was impregnated by the Holy Ghost. They believed that she had an affair um, or, or had at least a baby out of wedlock. And so he grew up with family issues, just like all of us did, which is why, and tell me if this isn't fascinating, he thinks that's why Jesus' bent is towards forgiveness. You have Ramana Marshi, he's not talking about forgiveness as much as Jesus was, because he grew up a bastard. You know, that's what people might have seen him as, someone who didn't have a hmm. father. Isn't that fucking the juice? 
Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it is. It is super interesting. I mean, is that the same Stephen Mitchell who uh, published a translation of the Tao Te Ching? Yeah, that's my Part- translation partner of byron katie as well i believe that's also correct yeah um yeah. he he did my podcast i'm only saying that because i think you would enjoy it not for the ego trip of you listening to my podcast he's he's a brilliant he's a brilliant guy i did want to i texted ryan and we talked a little bit there were two things that he asked me to ask you and i want to ask both of them one <laughs> of them you you sort of alluded to so i'll do that first was i was blown away to hear that you had a mushroom experience that unlocked repressed memories. And I know that's a heavy topic. Um, Mm. The heaviness isn't, I'm not looking for clickbait or something salacious. I can't believe, uh, Tim, I almost called you Ryan. I can't believe Tim, as somebody that's very curious, I I can't remember so much of my life, traumatic or otherwise, that you had a download. Would you tell uh, the story in brief? Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to. Uh, so, so, so for clarity, just actually, I, I should say as a preface to this, I should say that the topic of repressed or suppressed memories is very controversial, mm-hmm. very, very controversial, and I do not believe that everything one sees in the visions of a psychedelic experience translates to reality or accurate history. You mean Santa Claus didn't give me that motocross bike? Because I'm pretty sure he did. And he said I was his favorite comedian. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. So the the discernment, I th- which I do think is a developable, a, a developable skill with respect to these experiences, uh, is really important. And outside of the realm of psychedelics, I do think that there are therapists who can encourage people to explore so-called suppressed memories that, that are not in fact mapping to any type of reality. So with all of that said, just because it is very controversial, I had an experience, which was actually, uh, so I'll, so I'll, I'll back up for a second. So I, I had a number of mushroom experiences in college and found them to be incredibly impactful. Um, and uh, for many reasons that was true, uh, in retrospect, they were in completely uncontrolled, uh, arguably dangerous <laughs> environments. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I did experience after each of those, and I did it once per year for a few years and I limited it to that was an afterglow f- effect completely devoid of any depressive symptoms for three to six months. And I, I had never experienced anything like that after, say, puberty. Just to jump in, the first time I took mushrooms, I was a pretty heavy drinker, and I just didn't drink for three months. I didn't try yeah. to not drink. I didn't want to drink for three months, which yeah. was something that Bill W., I believe, wanted to look into for a yeah, Bill W. So Bill Watson, they were going to go all over the fucking place. That's okay. So Bill, <laughs> Bill, so, so, so Bill W., Bill Watson, uh, I guess founder or co-founder, I can't recall. I, I, you may know more about it of Alcoholics Anonymous. I believe wanted to have an additional step, which involved psychedelics in part mm-hmm. of the sobriety process. And he, I believe his sobriety was partially catalyzed by, uh, 
a psychoactive that's pretty gnarly, like a belladonna or something that is not kind of off the rack mm-hmm. standard college you fair. You can't get it at Bonnaroo. Yeah, he's, no, he's no, yeah, like a- yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, my my understanding of this was it was something uh, uh, pretty uh, pretty uncommon, uh, at least these days. Uh, so, so that experience. I'm going to get back to my personal story, but let me just say that one of the theories on addiction of many different types, whether that's addiction to alcohol, addiction to cocaine, addiction to certain behaviors and thought patterns, OCD, uh, controlling your environment through, say, anorexia, et cetera, that those are uh, one theory is that uh, you know one should be asking this is from Gabor Mate not why the addiction but why the pain and that those are coping mechanisms to avoid feeling certain things mm-hmm. so if you're able to resolve the feeling of those things or come to terms with them through an experience with psychedelics this isn't always true right or we'd have <laughs> many more millions of people who would spontaneously stop smoking and, and drinking right. but for, right. for a lot of people your experience that you just mentioned is is really common yeah uh, i was like i'm okay i'm loved i i am a citizen of the universe so i didn't I'm have good. to medicate with alcohol as much yeah exactly That's so so i so so i had those experiences in college I then had a really scary experience uh, because I'd taken some monstrous dose. We never even measured anything. I mean, it was like, oh, Ziploc bag, like a gallon Ziploc bag. I'll have half of that. And <laughs> I mean, so fucking irresponsible in retrospect. But I came out of a trip and I was like mid-peak because I was standing in the middle of the road on in this rural area, but I was staying in the middle of the road uh, you know, on the seventh astral plane and two headlights came bearing down on me and like almost got hit by a car. So, uh, that scared me so badly that I stopped for about a decade. And then I'm getting the math slightly off, but let's just call it a decade. And then roughly, you know, a decade later or five, 10 years later, somewhere in that range, I decided to look at psychedelics again, but this time because I had gained some familiarity with the therapeutics, uh, the therapeutic applications and the scientific literature and so on. And just felt like there were obstructions in my life and thinking and also compulsive patterns that I couldn't explain. And I still had these depressive symptoms. So uh, I, I wanted to re-enter that with mushrooms because I had had very positive experiences, but I wanted to do it with a facilitator in a properly supervised environment, et cetera, to actually quantify what I was consuming, to take a more <laughs> scientific and controlled approach. Yeah. And I had a, a, an excellent experience. That took some time to set up, but I did that. had an excellent experience, and that was, uh, that was in part preparation for taking ayahuasca, which is when these particular memories came up. And that... Um, and uh, but it's true that they came up twice, and I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that. So, I think ayahuasca is a very big gun. I don't think everybody should take it. I don't think everybody should take psychedelics. And uh, despite having put a lot of time and capital into supporting research related to these things, um, my girlfriend had had a transform at the time had had a transformative experience with with ayahuasca and and sold it to me as 15 years of therapy in two nights, which I'd never heard as a pitch before. <laughs> and 
So she knew she knew Your her therapist is a is yeah, a rascally yeah. kind of devil character with glowing yeah, yeah, yeah. white teeth. Yeah, yeah. But it'll he'll get you there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So so the she knew her audience, right? And so she said it's like <laughs> it's like 15 years of therapy in two nights. And I was like, okay, well, and I saw the changes in her, but I wasn't willing to uh, jump directly to that. And uh, ultimately did do two nights with ayahuasca, which has has uh, some some significant risks associated with it, particularly if you're taking SSRIs and so on. You can die uh, in these experiences if they're not managed properly and if you're not uh, watching medications and so on. So it's not risk free. You tend to only hear the highlights from people who have these amazing experiences. So there's What's a real an SSRI. Ser- uh, a it's a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor like Prozac. Okay. Uh, so so you can you can experience something called I think it's just called serotonin syndrome. Uh, which can be very, uh, very dangerous. We've also um, talked, my, my wife had a complete depletion of dopamine after taking some psychedelics and she's been very vocal on this podcast. So I love what you're doing. It's, it's, I like that you said it's a big gun. These aren't water slides. It's, it's more yeah. like a cannonball down, <laughs> a, down a well and yeah. you need to be able to swim. You need to be able to find your way in the dark. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I, I actually had a, a brutal uh, experience in ayahuasca. I ended up having seizures because I had accidentally uh, been given uh, St. John's wort tea, which has some serotonin oh, wow. uh, reuptake inhibition. It was a, a very long story, but uh, that day in, or just uh, that in that night. Yeah. I'd, wow. I'd had the tea maybe six or seven hours earlier. Oh, wow. And just really uh, just wasn't aware. didn't expect there to be that type of interaction. So flash forward, uh, I, uh, it wasn't in those two nights, but it was in later ayahuasca experiences that I had this flash of childhood sexual abuse, uh, by the, at the hands of a babysitter's son. And I knew the house I knew the stairs. I saw the incidents. I saw the layout of the house. I saw the other kids who were there. I mean, in great detail. So the level of specificity was so high Mm. that I remember having these memories in vivid detail come to mind and in a really sort of detached, calm way saying to myself, huh, yeah, I forgot about that. That happened. That's a real thing that happened. Wow. And and in that experience, that was basically it. I know that might sound really strange, but it was a very dispassionate, objective sense of surprise and then acceptance. It was just kind of like, huh, oh yeah, I forgot about that. That is a thing that happened. And I've had a, a lot of what you might call hypernesia, so the opposite of amnesia, like remembering everything on psychedelics. Uh, but I, that's that, that episode that I remembered of sexual abuse afterwards when I was, when I was journaling the next morning and doing integration and so on, I, I basically concluded wrongly at the time. I was like, I'm fine. I've been fine for decades. This hasn't dictated my life and caused problems. So there isn't really much to unearth here. I saw the memory. I accept that it happened and let me just put that in a tidy little box and mm. lock it and leave it alone. And then the experience that, that, uh, that you're referring to happened 
uh, quite a few years later when I did a Vipassana retreat. And I don't do meditation retreats regularly. I find them really, <laughs> uh, I mean, you would expect this from someone like me, maybe like very frustrating in general. So a 10 day silent retreat was, well, just, you can't be good at meditation. That's yeah. part of the, that's part of it. Well, yeah. Yes, exactly. Right. When, how do I, I win I, meditation? Yeah. I don't mean to pigeonhole you, but that's one of the problems I can have with it is how do yeah. I win this? And then you're yeah. like, no, that's the point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's your problem. Uh, so, so I went into this ten day silent retreat, and I was I was actually very excited about it because I had friends who had, had really vouched for long term impacts in their lives, and I was I was I was honestly looking forward to the challenge because I knew it was going to be very difficult for me. And what I also decided in advance because it was the last, uh, potentially the last time that Jack Cornfield, who I respect immensely. Uh, was going to be co-leading one of these retreats at Spirit Rock in Northern California. I decided that I, I I really didn't want to miss the ball. I didn't I did not want to risk a strikeout. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to deepen the experience as much as possible. Like how could I guarantee that I would go deep? And I was like, well, let me let me fast. So I fasted for five days beforehand. This is this was strongly advised against. I should say by. <laughs> Anyone involved, I, I fasted for, for about six days going into it or a few days going into it. And then I got to day six and the, I'll explain why that broke. And I also started microdosing with mushrooms. It's actually technically not what we would think of as, as microdosing. So microdosing, let's just put that on like the 50 to 150 milligram range. I started at, I started at 300 and then increased in 300 increments. So I, would, I did 300 a day, then 600, and then I think 900 was the most I got to. And uh, is a full dose a thousand? Is it a full dose? A full dose. The, the way you could think of a full dose would be well, there are many different ranges of dosing. The, the one to two gram dose is very difficult to navigate because you are. The analogy I use for folks is like you're taxiing for takeoff, you take off, you go through the cloud cover where there's turbulence, and then you pop through. The one to two grams is very often stuck in turbulence. You basically level out in the clouds and you you have one foot in, one foot out, and it's very uncomfortable. Uh, a, I would say a full dose, people will disagree with this, but like anything above two and a half grams is going to be a full ride for anyone who can really relax and let go. There are people who are very... Uh, type A driven white knuckle types, which happens to be a pretty high percentage of my friends. And some of those folks will take nine grams and they'll blink at you like nothing has happened. Uh, <laughs> but 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 for for people who are like reasonably adjusted or who can let go and relax, I'd say anything above two and a half grams could, could I've be- I've heard a, that well, the maps put that out, that the, let people that take smaller doses actually tend to have like a worse experience because of exactly what you're saying. It, it's it's so dependent. There's so much variability with mushrooms, uh, which is part of the problem. So you can't really standardize. But it, it, the the low doses for a lot of people are very manageable. The high doses kind of put you down for the count. So <laughs> you can surrender because you have no choice but to surrender. Mm-hmm. The in between dose that that particularly in in my experience in that one to two gram range is very difficult to navigate. So people who think they're going to take it easy by doing one and a half grams instead of say three often end up biting off a little bit more 
then they can chew. So you're but, saying but, two and a half is okay, not above two. Two and a half to three is a good, good. Uh, well, let me just say all these. You just look over. Are, I'm, eat, I'm eating yeah, mushrooms. Yeah, yeah. These are. <laughs> the, so let me let me just say all these things are illegal that we're talking about. So the legal side effects are significant. Uh, that may change at some point in the in the future, but keep that in mind. Number two. It's so highly individual. I mean, you could have a 250-pound linebacker, beast of a guy who on two grams is is shattered into stardust. And you could have like an 80 and, and you could have like and you could have like an 80-pound, you know, Korean mother of two who can take seven grams and like look at you and be like, what's for dinner right so it's it's it does even though they have to use milligrams per kilogram for these things in studies it doesn't seem to map very well to body weight so it's Mm. it's highly individualized but i would say for me personally anything above two grams i can use to go very deeply internally Mm. so i was not using that i was using sub one gram uh, and in that kind of 600 to 900 range, the combination of fasting plus the psilocybin plus the meditating set off this, this dizzying replay in like living color, but like immersive living color, this sexual abuse. And it started this movie that did not stop 24 seven. It was, I mean, it was psychosis, effectively. I mean, I was so, I was unable to think of anything other than this sexual trauma. I was, I was immersed in the experience. Like I had a VR headset on and I was back in the experience 24-7. So I would wake up at five, it would start. And then we'd go to meditate. It would just go all day, all day, all day, all day. And you're not talking either, which doesn't really help things. It's going, it's going, it's going, and then what, I would, is, what is your coping? Are, because well, I'm like, yeah, yeah. yeah. So there was there was no coping. Uh, yeah. Coping was hoping it would stop, and then mm. I would I would lay in bed sweating through my sheets until like two in the morning, fall asleep, get a few hours of sleep, and then wake up, and the whole thing would start again. Wow. And I uh, I was very fortunate that Jack was there. I, you you could reach out to faculty by putting a post-it note on a board or a note and then asking to, to meet with them. And then they would reply with a note on the board. It's a pretty laborious process, but was able to ultimately connect with Jack. I, I, I had effectively told no one about this uh, sexual trauma. I think at that point, maybe one person, maybe two. And I just, I just came clean with the whole thing because I was so terrified that I was done for, that I would, I had, I had let some genie out of the bottle that I was not going to be able to put back in. I would not be able to function as, as I was at that point, there was no way I could have functioned in the real world. I would not have been able to run a business, would not have been able to interact normally, would not have been able to get my bills paid proper. Like it, it would have been complete catastrophe. And he took me under his wing and really saved my ass uh, and assured me that he was going to point me to resources and be available as a support and was able to kind of talk me off the ledge. And it was really the first adult conversation with a professional I had ever had about this stuff. And that's when I realized also that, and I know this is a bit of a long story, but the context is important, that these like 17 or 21 
compulsive behaviors and problems and depression and self-loathing that I had been treating like separate problems to solve all made sense. They all clicked into place as soon as this sexual abuse piece was really put on uh, the the on the playing field as as an upstream cause potentially, mm-hmm. and in a in a way that was really freeing to me. I mean, it, the whole thing was terrifying, and I, I was just uh, kind of dizzied by the entire experience, but. It was also on some level relieving because I could say to myself, A, this makes sense. Like these 17 to 21 things are not crazy. I'm not insane. These aren't out of nowhere. Like they actually make sense. And there's a possibility that if I really deal with this one thing, I can hit 17 or 21 birds with one stone. (laughs) And that's when the work started. I mean, this was, I don't remember the exact year of this retreat, but let's just call it within the last five years. And that's when, after that experience, like I cleared the decks, I swept the calendars. Talk about canceling, man. I canceled everything. And it was just like, okay, Ferris, like you've put this off and you pushed it aside. You thought you wouldn't have to deal with it. And you know what I've, what I realized then and what I think I've come to say to a lot of my friends and I, and I, and, and, there's no one size fits all. I don't think everybody should approach things the way that I do at all. I'm a strange dude. Like I'm very peculiar in a lot of ways. So like this is what what worked for me. But the the saying that I've used with a lot of my friends who are like, I don't want to deal with it, but they're like going through a divorce and they're yelling at their coworkers or whatever. And these are like good people. Uh, I, I I feel fundamentally. My point would be even if it's not that extreme, I'm like whether you are dealing with it directly or not, like you're dealing with it. It's just, instead of opening the box and looking at it, it's like seeping out. It's like this black ooze that's seeping out the corners and affecting parts of your life without you realizing it. Like whether Mm -hmm. you're doing it directly or not, you are dealing with it. So let's just take that. It's like the consequences of inaction. It reminds me of that. People are like, I just won't do anything, but not doing something is doing something. And I love what you said, upstream. This is an upstream problem. There's something that's in the water before you even get to it. It's been influenced by this veil, this filter, this experience. Yeah. And, and what was your approach to listening to it? It it grabbed you. Has, have you been working with trauma work? embodiment, compassion, what's going on? Oh, I tried everything in typical Tim fashion. I sort of threw (laughs) threw a thousand things against the wall. And I had the luxury, honestly, because I had the savings and so the financial security. When I say I wiped the calendar, I mean, like I wiped it and this was my priority. Uh, And and most people don't have that option. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I'm kind of happy to do it in a sense, the, 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 what I can say is I tried a lot, a lot of things did not work for me. Um, uh, but they have worked for a lot of people. So I don't want to throw them under the bus, right? But like EMDR, this kind of rapid eye movement technique did not work for me, but it works for a lot of people. Uh, talk therapy in the traditional sense did very little for me, but that's not true for a lot of folks. And I, in the podcast I did where I, talked about this really publicly for the first time. I invited my friend Debbie Millman on, who also has a history of sexual abuse, because our approaches have been completely different. And mm. talk therapy saved her life. Mm. It did not, it did not uh, 
I'm just, I'm such a skeptical stickler pain in the ass. I just, I, 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 I wasn't fully engaged with talk therapy in the traditional sense. A few things that really helped me, uh, thinking about somatic, somatic therapy or how your physiology is imprinted by trauma was, was very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. So Bessel van der Kolk, how, you know, the body keeps the score or Peter Levine, uh, his work were very interesting. Uh, psychedelics played score. I love that. Sorry. Yeah. Psychedelics, uh, uh, psychedelics were, were a very big piece, uh, piece of this. Uh, were even very after big. you weren't oh, afraid. Yeah. You weren't. Uh, oh, I was, I was afraid, but, <laughs> uh, but it was, uh, so it took me a bit of time to get back on the horse in that respect. Uh, but I, speculated that what happened was really the combination of factors and not psychedelics alone. Because by that point, I had already reintroduced myself to psychedelics in very controlled environments without any real issues. Difficult experiences at times, but nothing like what I just described. This sounds like Uh, MDMA and PTSD, like they've had a lot of success there. Was that something that you tried? uh, MDMA... Uh, is something that I've used with professionals, uh, and it, ha- it it shows at least in a lot of the data that have been produced so far with say maps for PTSD, incredibly impressive results. I mean, you're, you you can look at in their phase two studies, there are patients with treatment resistant PTSD who have suffered on average between seventeen and eighteen years of mm. untreatable PTSD who no longer qualify for the diagnosis of PTSD after two or three sessions of MDMA psychotherapy. So wow. I did, I did do that. Uh, MDMA, and I, I don't know the, the, I, the, the specifics with Val, but uh, the, one of the sort of rules of thumb or heuristics that you could keep, that people can keep in mind is if, if you're utilizing, if you're using classical psychedelics, meaning let's just, for the sake of simplicity, LSD, mushrooms, aka psilocybin, mescaline, uh, or even DMT in, let's just say, NNDMT in the form of ayahuasca, although I don't recommend that for, <laughs> for people on the, on the bunny slopes. Uh, you, you pay the price, whatever price is to be paid. If there is a price to be paid, you're going to pay in the session itself with empathogens or heart openers that are basically amphetamine Dura, uh, related, like MDMA, uh, you pay afterwards. You you pay afterwards, and yeah. that as someone with depressive a history of depression. Oh, I didn't I, even think of that. Of course, yeah, that's such a I dangerous really, idea. Yeah. I really, I really, uh, and it's it's and it's not a hundred percent of the time, but I really don't. I think the the risk of a week of depletion and depression. Yes. scares me more than it scares most. That was in Chris Gethard's one man show. He took a bunch of Molly or something not, and no one told him like, Hey, this is fun now, but like, uh, you got to And for someone like me, you can just take L five or what something. Oh, L theanine. I mean, there are a lot of, there's, there's, there's a, there's a website called roll safe. I think it's rollsafe.org that has a supplemental regime or yeah. Yeah, whole supplement description. But for, for Gethard, I think it was just complete. Uh, I don't know. I think it might have been suicidal. I don't want to tell Chris's yeah. story, but I mean, he had yeah. nothing in the tank. Yeah. 
Yeah, you got to be careful. You got to be careful with this stuff. And I don't recommend people explore any of these compounds without the safety net of a therapist or someone who is a professional you have hired to be in your corner. Mm. I think it's a very bad idea to go into these experiences uh, because also, like, think about my sort of spontaneous access to these memories. If you had asked me in a day, <laughs> well, let me, let me approach it a different way. A lot of people will say like, oh yeah, I'm going to do this, this, and this. Do you have any trauma in your background? No, I don't have any trauma. Capital T trauma? No, I'm good. And what I always say is like, as far as you know, yeah. yeah. And you wow. don't, you, but you don't know what's going to be uncorked. And that's not to say everyone has experienced capital T trauma. That's not true. But you, you may be able to access... Yeah, you're not yeah you may be able to access things that you currently, you know, pre-session you can't access. So you, you want to have the seatbelt on, right? Like you, when's the last time you got in a, a head-on collision? Probably not recently, but like we all wear our seatbelts. Why? Because the downside risk is high, even though it's a low probability event. So similarly, like get a fucking therapist, like hire somebody to be in your corner on the 911 in case you need them. And, uh, but to come back to what helped, because I think this is this, there may be people listening who have experienced some of this. Uh, I, I want to just mention that all of the resources that worked for me and Debbie are on tim.blog forward slash trauma. We put together a resources page. There's, we do not sell anything. Right? I'm not, I don't have anything financial to gain from, from that. It's, but tim.blog forward slash trauma has all of the resources that we found most helpful. That includes the books. If you're interested in MDMA-assisted psychotherapy, there's a great documentary called Trip of Compassion that uh, is very intense, uh, but shows before and after footage. And it was it was filmed in Israel, so they could they could use actual patient session footage, which would be very difficult to do in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, due to due to reg- different uh, very different legal system. Uh, I found. Uh, a therapy called Hakomi therapy to be quite helpful, which is really a, a somatic mindfulness therapy method that makes any sense. So instead of paying attention to your thoughts, although you do pay attention to your thoughts, they will give you cues to pay attention to your body and different sensations that you have in your body. Mm. And if, if you've suffered physical abuse, uh, at least in my case, uh, I became reflexively, very good at dissociating, right? So if, if that's part of the, I mean, this is going to sound weird, but like it's part of the reason that I'm so, I'm really good in crisis circumstances. So in any kind of, I did like uh, disaster uh, response training in San Francisco and I was there for, for volunteering if there were an earthquake or any type of fires and so on. And and it's, it's taught by the police department. Uh, I'm sorry, the fire department. I think it's also in conjunction with the police department and they do these really realistic drills or any type of, in any type of crisis environment, my body and my mind kind of split and I'm, I'm like an observer of myself and I just detach from my physical body. So I'm very calm, which I think is a byproduct of just uh, the, the psyche splitting to preserve itself when I was being abused. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is a positive, if we want to look at it that way, kind of aspect to that but What's the radioactive nor- spider bite yeah but 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 in normal everyday life that dissociation is really disabling and makes it harder to connect with yourself makes it harder to read how your body is responding to things yeah. to evaluate your decisions and environments and people 
and it makes it very uh, challenging to connect with other people. Uh, so the Hakomi therapy, H-A-K-O-M-I is how you spell that, was very helpful for reconnecting with my bodily sensations. And maybe like you in the drinking, maybe not, uh, but like I, I have a history of using stimulants and sometimes alcohol to kind of overwhelm my senses to feel something and also not to feel a bunch of other stuff subconsciously. I, and, I think I, I do that too. Yeah. So the, the, the Hakomi therapy has been helpful with becoming more attuned to what baseline actually is and things that push on that baseline. Um, having a dog has actually helped a lot with that too, just watching how she responds to things. But the, uh, another method of therapy that I think is really interesting is called IFS, internal family systems. Mm, I've heard of and, that. Yeah. And uh, Dick Schwartz or Richard Schwartz is the founder and it's, it's, it's one method of what you might call parts work. So it, you might have like, you might talk to the angry part of yourself and have the angry part of yourself sit with the ashamed part of yourself and sit with the X part of yourself and you have a conversation and it sounds to someone who's maybe not experienced anything like this or who hasn't done any, any therapy. It sounds so contrived, but it is incredibly, it can be incredibly effective. And that is actually mm. used a lot. That is used a lot in the, the maps for people who want to learn more, you can go to maps.org, but the maps organized uh, trials for PTSD treatment through MDMA assisted psychotherapy. They use in the therapy sessions, IFS quite a lot, uh, mm -hmm. or some of, some of the practitioners do. So those are some of the things that have been very helpful for me. And uh, if, if people want to learn more, I mean, certainly the, the, the podcast with, with Debbie is, is very intense and gets into a lot of particulars of her experience as well. Uh, but the, the resources on that page, the tim.blog slash trauma are, uh, are, are good and they're not one size fits all. Uh, but I will say, I, I think I have, I think I've tried a lot and I think I have a very methodical approach to these things and I take really, really good records on all of it, right? Like mm. every, almost every psychedelic session I've done, I mean, I have uh, records of and going back uh, to that first facilitated mushroom experience that was my reintroduction. During? What like was that? taking notes during? Next, next morning. Next morning. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Tim, you are a gift. I hope that's not wasted on you. I know a lot of people love you, but this is the only moment that's real right now. And I'm feeling a lot of gratitude for you and a lot of love for you. So I really hope you know that all this work that you're doing and everything that you're sharing is, is love. You're giving the world a lot of love. And people Thanks, are man. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Thank I have you. so much written down. I feel like, I mean, selfishly, I'm like, oh, wow. It's like Ramdas used to say, he'd guide people through LSD trips and by the end of it they'd be in love he'd say like they, they would just fall in love and he's like the problem would be they'd go well what are you doing next weekend and he's like well fuck i, I mean like can't, <laughs> can't we just be like why do we have to capture it so i feel this part of me being like oh how do i talk to tim again i'm just going to enjoy this i'm so grateful for this time 
And uh, me, me too. I, I'm so glad. I'm like, if this is you on no sleep, brother, like what the <laughs> fuck? I'd, I'd love to see you after a good uh, eight hours. Um, I'm just really blown away and, and really moved. So thank you so much. I, the, the final question that we usually ask, um, as a bit of an achiever, I hope you don't take it too seriously. It's a pretty silly. Um, although I wonder, have you, are, do you know what you are on the Enneagram? I wonder if you're a three. I'm a, a I'm, I am a self-preservation six. So oh, really? a lo- loyal skeptic. Wow. Mm-hmm. Do you, you might have a seven wing then? I think I have a five and seven wing. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. I mean, I never, I'm glad that you are because I have a tendency to go sixes are, are, are just the, the masses. So whenever I meet like a beautiful, wonderful six, it, it, it's helpful to me and my dumb bias or my uninformed <laughs> bias. I also wanted to compliment the, I watched your Ted talks and some of your other talks. And as a public speaker myself, I was just like, how is this guy so calm? Meaning I, I'm just trying to give you another compliment to round this out. I know the difference between someone who's doing an impression of a calm person and someone who's actually calm and, and you're doing a talk and someone you did a, an impression of an orangutan and uh, someone yelled out the Hulk and you rolled with it and that, and, and you and you incorporated it. And I was like, I don't know what's going on now. I know you a little bit better. I know the heart rate might be jacked, but you're also depersonalizing to your own benefit and, and you're doing all this wonderful work. So if it means anything from a public speaker, I think it's really impressive how you're able to be present and articulate yourself and also trim so much of the fat away from uh, what you're trying to say, which and, well, thank and you have that empathy. Oh, people might not want the word truth here. They might recoil here. They might, I don't want to overshare, but I don't want to undershare. It's really masterful. So here's the final question. What is the hardest time, the time you've laughed the hardest in your life or just a recent one. And this, this might be a little IFS, not IFS. It might be a little Hakomi. Just think of tears running down your face. It doesn't have to be a good story. Where were you? How old were you the last time you laughed really, really hard? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I mean, the first one that comes to mind is, uh, I was actually in conversation with one of my closest friends who's, I'm not going to use his name because he wouldn't want it, but uh, <laughs> amazing guy, amazing, amazing, amazing guy, deep, soulful, intelligent guy doing great things in the world. And he had been hearing me. He's a very, he's a very good friend. And he'd, he'd seen me over say the last five years having these experiences with psychedelics and I never proselytized, like I never pushed, but he would often, I would often see him a few days after some of these experiences, just because that's the way our lives were organized. And so eventually, you know, he had, he had an experience with mushrooms and he sent me a text and he effectively like, dude, dot, 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 we need to talk. And so we get on the phone and he did it with a few friends, with a facilitator and they took some, you know, elephant appropriate dose. They took some absurd amount, like, you know, eight grams each or something. And uh, so they're having their experiences and there's a playlist playing. And one of his really good friends is next to him and he's, and he starts wailing. He's like, ah, ah, ah. And, <laughs> oh, no. and, and so, 
And so my, my friend goes to, to the facilitator, kind of leans over, and he's tripping balls, keep in mind, but he, he leans over to the facilitator and uh, let's make up a name. He's like, is Eric okay? And she goes, oh, Eric's fine. He's just melting and he doesn't like that. <laughs> so, <laughs> and my friend just fucking lost it laughing. And he's like, I was laughing through eight dimensions and like my whole body. And, he, and so he and I uh, just lost it laughing at that because it's, it's kind of one of those, you had to be there yes. experiences where like, unless you've been there, it's hard to appreciate how, fucking funny that is it's such uh, a mushroom joke like the way that mushrooms can say something to you calmly like <laughs> oh you're just evaporating and and to have that not be frightening is the sense of humor we sound like terence mckenna now but it's yeah. it's sense of humor yeah. it's like i'm sure you've heard that with ayahuasca too there's a great documentary i can't remember the name of it it's something about the jungle a uh, guy goes in with, he's suicidal and he's going to do ayahuasca. And one of it is he's alone for 30 days. And it's very typical. He's visited by ayahuasca. He, he was like, the plant yeah. showed up to me and visited with me for like three days and yeah. like had a conversation with me. So like the way, uh, sorry, now I'm just sharing things I think you'll enjoy, but they were like, what's the difference between mushrooms and LSD? And I forget who said it. It might've been Albert Hoffman actually, but he was like, he's like, mushrooms are far more embodied, meaning mm. it has a spirit, meaning it has a sensibility. If you want to get really kind of woo woo and, and out there, you could say it's sort of possessed by something thicker. The smoke of it is thicker. LSD is more like tick, 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 tick. And as I've said before, mushrooms is like, <laughs> like it has more of a personality and it has this really sort of mischievous sense of humor that that therapist's voice really seems to be tapping into in that moment. That, oh yeah. Cool. Yeah. She's, uh, she, she's, she definitely knows her stuff. So that was, that was the perfect response <laughs> uh, he's, he's just melting <laughs> uh, he's just melting he doesn't like it he doesn't like it yeah he hasn't he has an aversion to melting right now but he'll be fine uh tim thank you so much man obviously the tim ferris podcast doesn't need my help promoting it um is there any other projects you want to shout out before we leave yeah i would say uh, i mean this is the first time I've spoken uh, in, with with anyone else about the uh, the trauma piece since I put out that podcast. Uh, so I would I, I feel very strongly about the, or I'm, I should say I'm very happy about and really proud of the impact it seems to be having. It seems to be helping a lot of people who are talking for the first time about their own trauma and beginning to unpack it and realize that it's it doesn't have to be this insurmountable black box or this flaw, this sort of injury they need to carry forever that is unfixable. Mm. Uh, so I, I, I would encourage anyone who's experienced uh, trauma and they can define that however they like to take a look at the, uh, the tim.blog slash trauma page. Uh, it has a lot of really good resources on it. Uh, I would also say, you know, one thing that I uh, do every week that I really enjoy is something called Five Bullet Friday. So I send out a, a free newsletter. It's just the five most interesting things 
that I'm experimenting with or that I've found that I've read, whatever it might be, you know, technology, like the HRV stuff, I might point out a specific device I'm using or an article or fill in the blanks. This thing called Five Bullet Friday, if people want to subscribe to that, they're about between between one and two million subscribers right now. Uh, so I, a lot of people five. five five bullet Friday because there are five bullet points. So okay. people can just go to if, if people go to Tim.blog forward slash I love Fridays, they can sign up for that. And uh, that's about it for me, man. Honestly, I uh, your your uh, marketing people didn't push you to four bullet Fridays. They were like, "Come on, <laughs> you're, the, you're the four guy." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you know. I uh, funny you should say that. The uh, so I'm I'm my only mar- my only marketing guy uh, with respect <laughs> to those kind of decisions. But you know, my last two books, uh, the Tools of Titans and Tribe of Mentors, very deliberately omitted the four hour because I was like, you know. I think it's time to retire the jersey. I know yeah. you're watching the last dance and, yes, you know, yes. and then brings it back. But I, I've been very happy about retiring the four hour jersey. No, I'm proud. Um, it, the, yeah. As a comedian, I see those things happening all the time. It's like, oh, I know Emo Phillips changed his hair back, but oh, Emo Phillips got a new haircut. Um, Dimitri Martin's telling more stories, all these different things. Like it's yeah. always good to shed the skin. So I'm glad you are. It, at a certain point, it's going to be cheesy. I mean, you're, you're a 55 year old man going like the four hour sex workshop. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Yeah. We don't yeah. need it, Tim. We're good. We're no, good. no. And, and I want to just grab something that um, you said to, to, to finish with, at least on my side, and that is shedding skin. Mm. Uh, so I was, I was recently uh, out in a, uh, I was really secluded kind of rural area for a few months. Uh, and one of the last things I came across was a huge, like six foot snakeskin that had not only been shed, but it had been shed on a huge hickory tree. And it was waving in the wind, like a flag Whoa. on this, pro- on this property where I was staying. And it was, uh, it was the day before, someone I know who was uh, sexually abused twice uh, went through his, a medicine experience and decided as a totem to sort of burn these emblems of these locations where he had been abused. Mm-hmm. And uh, the shedding of skin took on a really beautiful and powerful kind of s- symbolic charge for him and also vis-a-vis his experience my own shedding of skin and uh you know the human psyche and the the human experience can shed skin in the form of emotional charges and hyper reactivity stories also we tell ourselves that no longer serve us that maybe had a protective purpose or a coping purpose they probably did have a protective purpose at some point but no longer are relevant uh I just want to encourage people to believe that it is possible to shed skin and that there are tools and resources out there that can really, really help. It is, it is not a lost cause and it's something that I encourage people to consider. And we're back to man follows the earth, man follows the earth, earth follows the universe, universe follows the Tao. That's that cue. When we see those things, Eckhart Tolle says, when you see a flower or a bird, these are, Birds are reptiles that evolved to transcend walking. Rocks transcended their nature through extreme heat and pressure to become transparent, literally the opposite 
of what they were. And a, a, a snakeskin on a tree, these things have more meaning to us than we even understand. So that's yeah. what I mean by man follows the earth. And when we lose our connection to the earth, um, we lose some of the, that library of transformation. Yeah. So that's really powerful stuff. Thank you so much. Well, clearly, I love this. I hope you can tell. <laughs> I, yeah, get- I'm, have, I, I had a, I'm, I'm having a blast, man. I appreciate you uh, taking the time also. Please, it's my sincere pleasure. And um, in, if there's nothing else, we have the guest say the catchphrase, it's just a nice little button and a sign off, uh, which is you would say, keep it crispy if you want to. <laughs> keep it crispy. <laughs> if, if you want to <laughs> wait 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 i am making myself keep it crispy because i deserve it <laughs> there, there it is as you should as you should